you see how a lot of people are like uh, putting Carrie Fisher into that image now as well as like a Force ghost? Yeah, I saw. I saw a couple of those. She's not yeah. a Force user, but and she's also not dead at that point either. Yeah, so it's kind of awkward. Still a nice, nice. Uh, I'm good. I'm already getting errors. Fuck. Are you really? Yeah, that's the quota exceeded error. I'm gonna get a new, a larger. Uh, SSD? Yeah, SSD soon, so hopefully I'll take care of it. You should have picked one up this week, man. The sales were like crazy. should have, but I was busy and... You might be able to still pick up a a Boxing Day sale right now if you go looking after we record. Yeah, we'll take a look. Because I went to to Long and McQuaid and picked up a bunch of crash symbols today for on the cheap, so... Mm. Yeah. All right, well, welcome everybody to Dance Robot Dance, episode number 24. This is a pretty quick, off-the-cuff episode with uh, just just two just two of us today. It's going to be nice and intimate, so uh, I've got Mark with me here. Hi, guys. How's it going? And uh, I am Tim. I'm going to be hosting this episode, and Christy is somewhere off in the fucking eastern Canadian wilderness, freezing her lady bits off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know where Christy is exactly. She's not replying to text messages. At this point, I'm assuming a moose ate her, and we may or may not hear from her again. Yeah. Uh, they have yeah, moose or, out there, Or like right? a giant like salmon or something like that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's probably more like a, a giant salmon ate her, but... <laughs> Which sounds dirtier somehow. Yeah, well, all that fish. All that fish, <laughs> All that fish. Uh, yeah, and Eric is... MIA also. MIA. He's probably still engrossed in Christmas holiday festivity stuff. So, uh, how about you, Mark? Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah, it was pretty good actually. I was uh, I was back home for a couple days and you know saw everybody and drank a lot. So I had a good time. How about uh, you were up here, obviously. So yeah, yeah. I uh, it was good. It went too short as it always does. I mean, I had to head back like two days after Christmas, drive, make the long trek back from. Uh, southern ontario to atlanta but and then because i had to work on wednesday not that i'm bitter <laughs> i'm bitter yeah uh <laughs> yeah i'm still off for three days so yeah i need to get me one of those jobs where you get like at a week and a half off at christmas yeah you could just take <laughs> vacation time too like regular people do but well it's, i don't get much of that anyways but let's not turn this into a bitch fest about my current employer Yay. <laughs> hopefully they don't know about the podcast <laughs> no and that's why i don't use my full name on the podcast oh. except on my facebook page oh no <laughs> and i just got fired um <laughs> so let's uh move on into uh the news this week most of the news this week is pretty fucking sad yeah uh, biggest news I would say this week was that uh, Carrie Fisher passed away on the it was the twenty seventh, right? Yeah, because it happened back while we were driving back, uh, and Alicia was like checking her Facebook feed and was like, "Holy shit, Carrie Fisher died!" Yeah, and uh, so it was after having a massive heart attack, I guess, on Friday, and then apparently she was stable for a bit, and then apparently not so stable. Well, they had said she was stable, but that doesn't really. Apparently didn't mean much. So, but that could just mean body stable, not like brain death stable. Um, my yeah. mom, the nurse, was telling me that uh, doesn't necessarily mean um, that it's it's recoverable at that point. So, mm. but yeah, there was um, there was a lot of controversy about her dying too. Because did you see the thing about Steve Martin? Really? No. What? 
Uh, I'm just, I'm trying to look it up now because, uh, I'm a douche and didn't do this ahead of time. (laughs) Um, yeah, Steve Martin deleted his tribute to Carrie Fisher following her death on Tuesday after people criticized it for being sexist. Sound is starting. Um, when I was a young man, Carrie Fisher was the most beautiful creature I had ever seen. Uh, Martin wrote on Twitter before removing the post. She turned out to be witty and bright as well. Um, and then somebody got on him for being like objectifying um, her or whatever yeah objectifying her before like complimenting her her wit mm-hmm. or whatever so yeah so people were like down steve martin's throat and i guess he was just like he took it down but i can only imagine steve martin was like you know what go fuck yourselves guys because he's, <laughs> he's martin yeah uh, i mean i can i can kind of see why people might have taken that wrong especially considering uh recent events in the sort of political sphere where uh women were having a hard time with getting certain position and that sort of thing so yeah it's uh yeah i, I mean i can understand that i i mean m- the majority of the tributes that i saw were more just that like you know on top of uh obviously uh you know being a really iconic actress in terms of uh princess leia that she also uh helped to bring like mental illness to the forefront and also was very vocal about the issues and and problems that she faced uh in getting her getting cast and like you know how women do get objectified in hollywood and stuff like that so that was good yeah, no, most of the stuff was pretty nice. I was listening to, uh, as I always am, seemed to be, I was listening to, they put up a new Smodcast, like, today, and it was mainly about, like, Kevin Smith's interactions with uh, Carrie mm-hmm. Fisher, and he was telling a lot of really nice stories about that kind of stuff, and how she kind of took Jay under her wing and stuff like that, because he was obviously also afflicted with substance abuse <laughs> issues and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah. yeah, most of them have been pretty good. I just saw the Steve Martin one, was just like, people, get the fuck over it already, like... Not everything is meant to offend you. Yeah, so, exactly. Whatever. Calm down. Re- relax your balls, guys. Relax your balls. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, then literally the day after, uh, her mother, Debbie Reynolds, passed away. Not as much of a sort of geek icon, but still an icon in uh, Hollywood for sure. So that's a pretty fucking rough week for that family. Yeah, it sucks. Um, yeah, I have seen then, I have seen singing in the rain. That's about all I can really yeah. speak to on her on her end. But yeah, I mean, it's I guess a big it, a big big Hollywood family for sure. Yeah, um, so We're like royalty. So yeah. Um, and then uh, and then we also lost George Michael. That was on Christmas Day, was it not? Uh, yeah, we were at Christmas dinner actually when I saw the post go up on Twitter or Facebook or something like that. Um, super engrossed in my family's conversation, obviously, and was <laughs> checking my phone when I saw that come up. But um, yeah, that sucks too. Uh, yeah, having contributed just contributed careless whisper to the Deadpool franchise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, this really fucking sucks. Is like you know everybody's thinking okay. The end of 2016 is in sight, and then it just had yeah. to fucking bend us over one more time. And well, we've still got like, mm, what are we at here? Twenty thirty six hours, thirty six yeah. hours, or something like that left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you never know. No, nobody else die. <laughs> keep your hands off. Keep your hands off the world. 2016. Yeah. Stanley did. Stanley just celebrated his 94th birthday. Ah, uh, Stanley's immortal. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's starting to seem that way, and it's I can only see that. Yeah. 
Um, but in uh, sort of happier news, uh, I guess it was also on Christmas Day or like Christmas Eve or something like that, uh, we got the trailer for Alien Covenant. Which looks badass. It so. lo- does look fucking badass. The fucking backburster and uh, yeah, it looks, looks pretty awesome. It looks like a horror movie again, which was kind of nice. Yeah, it definitely looks like it's getting more back to the uh, the sort of um, original alien movie kind of roots. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I hope it's not like a rehash of that, but you know, uh, offers some fresh stuff as well. But uh, I'm definitely on board. I'll I'll be seeing that for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm excited for it. There was some. Uh, I'm glad Fastbender's back. At least if they're going to try and tie for whatever reason tie Prometheus back into it, but that was kind of yeah. nice to see him there at least for some continuity, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, the look of everything was good, as far as I could tell. It, it was. It looks dark, so that looks awesome. Yeah, it was um, very exciting. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. the scre- the screaming woman in that uh, that containment unit or whatever that was was yeah. pretty harrowing. So I was like, "That's good. Make it yeah. make a good movie this time, guys." Yeah, I like Prometheus. I think it added some stuff to the franchise and to the to that world for sure. Um, I don't. I kind of think it added in the series. Yeah, I think it kind of added stuff that didn't necessarily need to be explored, particularly. Yeah. So I was kind of like, well, all right, it's there now, I guess. Yeah. Like the prequels. I'm just like, I didn't, it's nice that it's there, I guess, but I didn't really need it. So, no. Um, I don't know. How much did you read about the, uh, have you read about like the Neomorphs, the new alien species? I haven't read anything about it, really. Uh, I think that's, that's one of those ones where I'm like, I'm, I'm just kind of fringe care about it enough that I'll watch a trailer, but I'm not going to go mm-hmm. do research kind of thing. So. Yeah. Apparently the uh, the way that they the those like neomorphs that's what the like uh, erupts out of the dude's back. Um, apparently, rather than getting infected by like a face hugger, they uh, get into you like through the ear. So that's that one scene in the trailer where there's like a little spore or something that flies into the one dude's ear. See, I thought you were gonna say through the butt, and then I was yeah. just like, <laughs> "The butt course. baby, it's a butt baby, <laughs> a butt baby alien. That's awesome." <laughs> Uh, um, oh, I'm sure. There, I'm sure there's uh, there's a, a giant um, Reddit thread at this point dissecting the uh, whatever in the trailer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the trailer yeah. that I can go read somewhere. So yeah. Um, speaking Why of, it, oh, it's white. Yeah, the neomorph is like a whitish color. I guess it's gonna start on like sort of all fours as like um, kind of like the. Uh, the one that came out of the dog in Alien Three, or the dog, yeah. yeah that uh, it's gonna start out on all fours, but then like as it uh, matures, it's gonna start walking on two legs, like the original xenomorphs. So, well, it's gross looking, so they got that right. Yeah, as long as it's not like that fucking ugly ass like human alien hybrid that they had in Re- in Resurrection. Oh yeah, we don't talk about Alien Resurrection though, so. <laughs> It it's was not, not. Yeah, not so yeah, good. Not, not so great. Good. Um, uh, there was another movie that came out that definitely falls under our sort of geek purview, but I don't think we talked about it last week. It was probably with good reason. Assassin's Creed came out. I heard it flopped. Didn't it flop yeah, like hard? It, sound, it sounds like it flopped real fucking hard. Like, I've, I don't know anybody that's gone to see it. Um, everybody, All the reviews that I've seen have been really shit, so... When did it? Um, when did it come out? Uh, December fourteenth. So, isn't that like like a few days before Rogue yeah, One? Week before Rogue One, yeah. That's uh, if you're gonna. Well, first of all, if you're gonna make that movie and it's getting reviews that are 
What's the Rotten Tomatoes? Hold on, let me look up the Rotten Tomatoes. Seventeen <laughs> percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it comes out three days before Rogue Fucking One. You're talking about you're gonna get you're fucking fucked. massacred. Yeah. yeah, it might be that they were just trying to dump it or whatever because they knew that it was gonna be shit. So yeah, um, although normally they do that in January and February. Poor Fastbender. Yeah. Oh, he's crying himself to sleep on that on that paycheck. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And like, I don't know. Is he married? I'm sure he probably gets all kinds of pussies. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. But speaking of uh, Rotten Tomatoes, I saw Arrival, which is like 94 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Finally, I saw that last night. Good. Uh, with my buddy that's in front of town. Yeah, it was really good. Um, it wasn't. I didn't really know exactly what to expect going into it, but uh, yeah, definitely, I really enjoyed it. I'm so out of the loop. I don't even know uh, what that is. Uh, it's Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. It's basically like oh, uh, is that the other first contact other, kind of? I was movie. gonna say, is that the other Alien movie? Like the other <laughs> yeah. first contact movie? Okay. Yeah, yeah, but nice. it's done really well, and uh, uh, yeah, definitely enjoy it. Definitely recommend it. So, huh. um, but yeah, that was everything that I had. I mean, it was Christmas. So there's not a whole lot of other stuff going on. Anything else you can think of? Uh, no, I've been totally, like, off the grid the last couple days, kind of just, like, watching movies and not doing much of anything else, so that's been about it for me. Yep, Mark finally watched the Hobbit movies the last couple days. Yeah, if we were going to do Geek of the Week this week, that would be, that would be my Geek of the Week I watched. Yeah, alright, let's get into that. It's time for the Uh, Geek of the Week, Mark. Uh, yeah, my Geek of the Week, I'm not going to do a sting, (laughs) that's, you guys do that shit, I'll, I'll just, I'll just edit it together afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I sat down and watched the Hobbit movies, and uh, even in spite of the uh, them being kind of maligned online, I I pretty I enjoyed them pretty much. Like they were pretty good. They're a little long in spots, and I can definitely see where I'm like I would have cut a bunch of shit out. But mm-hmm. um, no, I had a good time watching them. They're not as good as the Lord of the Rings movies, I guess. Maybe that's my rem- my memory of them. I haven't watched those in a couple of years, but I was definitely like, yeah, I'm having a good time sitting here watching this and. All the acting is good, and I like obviously like Martin Freeman's fantastic, and we're like, yeah, I think Sherlock premieres in two days. Like the new season of oh, Sherlock yeah. will start again on uh, New Year's Day. Um, but yeah, no, like it was it, it was really it was an enjoyable sit. Like I I I didn't like sit there looking at my watch like I thought I was going to be because I was kind of mm-hmm. like fuck I, I should watch these, but I don't know if I really want to. But when I finally sat down and watched it, I was like halfway through Smog before I was like, oh shit, what? Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, it's been to... six hours or something. Yeah, it's been six hours. I should go to bed. <laughs> but yeah, they're, so... they're, they're good movies for sure. I mean, uh, I, I've obviously watched them in a very drunken state a couple weeks ago, but I have, yeah. I've watched, I watch them all at least once a year. And, uh, yeah, the Hobbit movies, I think definitely add a lot to the franchise and, um, I mean, a lot of people do complain that, like, they were way longer than they needed to be, but uh, for people that are, like, Tolkien nerds like me and to a much larger extent my wife, uh, they they brought a lot of stuff to the screen from, like, the appendices and stuff like that that probably never would have seen the light of day anyway. So the the stuff in in Dol Guldur and that kind of thing, which is just kind of really tangentially mentioned in the actual Hobbit, but it is stuff that sort of happens concurrent with the events of the Hobbit. So, 
No, but they were really interesting, and it was obviously you guys like having done that uh, like live stream and having watched all of them, <laughs> uh, and us talk and us doing that little bonus episode that inspired me to be like, I should sit down and watch these finally because eventually Alicia's gonna find out that I haven't seen them and kill me. So, <laughs> no, I think she'd forgive you for not having uh, seen the Hobbit movies, but if you hadn't ever seen the Lord of the Rings movies, oh, those ones. I was in I was in the theater for those, and I have the extended editions on Blu-ray here. So yeah. I am I am kind of like I was like about halfway through uh, Fellowship when I came back upstairs to record the episode. So <laughs> yeah, we ended up seeing all the Hobbit movies like at least two or three times each in the theater. In part because like we were getting like invites to pre-screenings and stuff like that because we're part mm-hmm. of like Tolkien fan groups and that sort of thing. So we got to see a couple of them like a week or so before they uh, they released, which was nice. That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, no, I enjoyed them. So like, it's like, well, now I've seen them. <laughs> uh, well, for me, I mean, Christmas was probably my geekiest thing this week, and I got a lot of geeky gifts. I got, for instance, the uh, uh, since we talked about it on the podcast, I got the um, uh, collector's edition of uh, the Beach Boys album Smile that came out in like 2011. So it's like records and. Uh, cds and everything so that was the only one of my like top five albums that i didn't have on vinyl so now i've got all five of those um but the uh the geekiest gift i got by far was one that uh alicia my wife gave me and that was i got uh an ultra saber uh lightsaber so it's one of these like ultra customizable ones um that uh you can actually like plug it into your computer by usb and like change the color that it lights up as and like change the sounds that it makes and that sort of thing um but yeah they're they're always at cons and stuff like that like i always eye them whenever we're at dragon con but they're uh just you know pretty pretty expensive so she went out on a limb and got one for me and it's pretty pretty awesome Sorry, I'm just Googling it right now to see what you're fucking talking about. <laughs> like, the, the shafts are, all like, all full metal and, like, tooled metal and brushed steel and that sort of thing. And they're, they're like, battle-ready as well, so you can actually, like, duel other people with them and stuff. And um, oh, So they're but, strong enough that they... So whatever that, that plastic tube is that they're using as a light is yeah. enough that it... Uh, it can, have to, can withstand the force of ten geeks. Oh, so it can <laughs> so about one normal sized human yeah, so, being. So one normal sized person. Yeah. I want to see. I want to see one light up. Hold on, I'm watching the video or whatever. Yeah, and they they make like all the sound effects when you move them around. Like there's clearly like a uh, accelerometer in them and that sort of thing. And they also make like contact noises and that sort of thing too. And so um, huh. you can you can set them to like yeah like I said flash different colors and that sort of thing and. Uh, right now, mindset that like once it's on, if you push like the trigger button, it uh, switches to like sort of the like saber lock. Like if you're like locked in battle with somebody else and you're like pushing against each other, kind of thing, it goes like yeah. <laughs> and flashes uh, white and green and stuff. Though, how how much does one of these bad boys cost? Uh, I've been told by my wife not to not to look. Oh. <laughs> not to check how much they cost but i mean it depends a lot on the uh <coughs> how like how you customize it and stuff like that because there's a, just a huge number of options that you can get on them um, um the company's been around for a while and they do a lot of business at cons like you can go to the con and they have their whole booth set up and you can go through and pick like i want you know this blade with this hilt and i want it to make these noises and i want uh it to have you know these 
other like features like you can uh, have it so you can just plug it straight into the wall to charge it and that sort of thing and yeah actually these aren't like like exceptionally horrendously priced so like I don't there is one that is shaped like the Thundercat sword too nice <laughs> none of them uh, none of them licensed I'm actually pretty surprised that they don't get like sued or whatever but yeah, but like all that kind of sidelined weird kind of fandom shit is not uh Yeah, I mean I guess as long as they're staying away from like certain designs and certain terminologies and that sort of thing. There's Yeah, cuz they just call so them sabers. They're not they're not necessarily calling them like lightsabers, so it's not yeah. like it's Oh no, wait a minute. The combat lightsaber specialist. Never mind. <laughs> um and then really if you look at it, it looks like a lightsaber. It may not be one that's like from the movies, but it definitely you're like, "Oh yeah, that's a lightsaber." Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty pretty easily recognizable, but pretty awesome. So that was that was my geek of the week, I think. Yeah, the, the only the only like the only I feel like the only gift that I got was like Nine Inch Nails putting out that EP. So oh yeah, that was about yeah, it. That was, that was the thing that happened. Yeah, on the twenty third. So yeah. it's pretty good. Not as great as I was hoping it would be, considering they're like you haven't done anything in years. I was like, come on, guys, put some effort yeah. in. But it's it's pretty like it's kind of ambient in spots too. So I was like, this is not a lot of lyrics and. Yeah. Whatever. It isn't. And like they were talking about how it's like a difficult sit. Like like everybody was thinking it was going to be like the broken EP. And I was like, no, no, this is pretty accessible if you're a Nine Inch Nails fan. So yeah. Whatever. Um, yeah. Speaking of Nine Inch Nails, one of the things I got Alicia for Christmas was a uh, downward spiral on vinyl. Yeah. They just. Well, that was the thing. Like when they put out the. Um, this the is EP. what really happened. Yeah. They put the EP out. They um, they reissued like most of the stuff on vinyl. So like yeah. I have. I have the downward spiral and the fragile on order that mm-hmm. should get here in a couple, like in a week or two. So. Yeah, I ordered them before all that, all those announcements were made. So it's the old pressing uh, of uh, downward spiral. But I mean, the original vinyl pressing still, of downward spiral is pretty good. I have it. I have that pressing. I just wanted. Yeah. I want the. They, he just remastered everything for vinyl too. So I was like, mm-hmm. I'll reorder it while I'm sitting here ordering. Because I was ordering the vinyl of the new one too anyway. So I was like, I'll just order all this shit while I'm sitting here. Yeah. Who needs money? I can just throw it away, right? Like I don't need that. Yeah, records yeah. are more important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can get buried with records. You can't get buried with money. Maybe. I think you, you could probably do both, actually, yeah. <laughs> if you wanted to. I think one's illegal, though. I'm sure they'll like my my Pearl Jam vinyl will be able to be buried with me. So it's not <laughs> yeah, like it's probably it. illegal to get buried with money or something. Probably defacing it. Um. Yeah. So all right. Well, let's move on to the. Meat of the episode. We got Dub Christie over here. Yeah, I'll, steal, I'll steal it from. Uh, I'll steal it from one of the episodes and just throw <laughs> it in there. There. Um, so because we have just Mark and me here today, we uh, thought we'd delve into some stuff that Christie doesn't really give a shit about. Yeah, um, we can get really nerdy tonight. So <laughs> yeah, we can. So get your get your nerdy boners out, everybody. Um, so. Wait. so uh what i want to talk about tonight was sort of uh like big major comic events like those sorts of universe spanning uh you know big crossover kind of stories that uh the big two marvel and dc um love doing love doing sometimes get get some flack for doing but uh i mean they're really they they usually are a lot i won't say that they're always my favorite stories but a lot of those types of stories are my favorite some of my favorites um like stuff that has like sort of a really lasting impact on characters or the universe as a whole or that sort of thing uh or teams that kind of thing so uh what kind of spurred this was um i finally got around to watching the uh 
Arrowverse um, crossover invasion uh, that kind of crossed over with uh, Supergirl and Arrow and Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. Um, and, uh, I mean, it is actually sort of loosely based on a pretty early... I'll say early, I mean like mid-80s, uh, or no, it might be early 90s, uh, DC crossover, also called Invasion, that also featured the Dominators as the main antagonists. Um, Mark, you watched this a while ago, and you you uh, praised it pretty highly, and you've been hounding me to watch it, so I finally did. So why don't you talk about how you felt about that? Well, I like I. There's two episodes in there that I like. It was a four episode crossover, but it was really a three episode crossover. Yeah, yeah, that was really a two episode crossover. By the time <laughs> it was done, um, they did a weird thing. Yeah, I think I see where you're going with this. Yeah, well, like the Flash episode and Legends of Tomorrow episode were both very much like the crossover episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Supergirl episode had literally nothing to do with it except for the portal to Earth One showing up a couple times, and then yeah. Barry and. Um, Cisco showing Cisco. up at the end. Yeah. yeah, showing up like right at the end. And then they replayed that scene in the episode of The Flash. It was on the next night, so it was completely moot one way or the other. <laughs> um, and then the Arrow episode, which in the weirdest scheduling like idea of all time, they scheduled the 100th Arrow episode to coincide with the crossover, mm-hmm. thereby like negating the fact that it was a crossover episode and having like a weird dream flashback kind of thing going yeah. on, which d- wasn't super I- necessary. Yeah, I didn't realize was, that was the hundredth episode, but that makes yeah. sense now. Yeah, but it was it was really it was a really good way to call back to the fact that it had been a hundred episodes because mm-hmm. they go back and they had everybody on there. They had Deathstroke show back up. I mean, obviously, Manu Bennett wasn't in the episode, but like they did have Deathstroke there, yeah. and like uh, they brought uh, Laurel the, back and Laurel back and Razal Ghul and all that kind of stuff show up. But like and all Oliver's parents and yeah. Yeah, so everybody everybody comes back and stuff like that, and they obviously had the opportunity to have uh, the White Canary in that episode too because she was crossing over anyway. So they took mm-hmm. them all and did that little tangent thing. But they kind of like I felt like it kind of if you're watching the four episodes in a row, it killed the flow of it narratively for me. Yeah, it did the same for me too, for sure. So I was like, come on, guys! But um, the like the the actual crossover episodes were like, especially in the Flash and then in Legends of Tomorrow, that really just felt like a a, a long Flash episode. Mm-hmm. Um, were really excellent, so I quite enjoyed that, and it was really nice seeing um, the bubbly Supergirl uh, butt heads a little bit with uh, the super dour Batman esque uh, yeah. Green Arrow character. So that yeah. was kind of fun to watch. Yeah, and the, then, the, uh, and the, then Barry, the, Barry play. Sorry, yeah, ahead. and then watching Barry um, kind of play mediator between the two was kind of fun to watch. So. Yeah, there were there were a lot of those. There were a lot of those really good character moments uh, going back and forth, which is like it really to me. Um, the Flash in Legends Tomorrow episodes they really did feel like a comic crossover. Um, like they acknowledged sort of what was going on in the in the other sort of quote unquote characters books at the time sort of thing, like yeah. what was happening in in the individual shows at the time, and like how that had to get put on hold for, you know, this big emergency. Um and it turned out that like basically it was Barry that Barry fucking with the timeline and somebody needs to explain to that boy the timeline is not a <laughs> fleshlight and he needs to keep his dick out of it. Cause like always <laughs> fucking something up that boy. Yeah, you got it. I love him the desk but fucking sticking his dick in the timeline for sure. Always got his dick in the fucking timeline. So <laughs> I think now he's hopefully learned his lesson, unless he's like in a really dire situation or something like that. He's the Flash at this point. If he didn't have his dick in the timeline, I don't even know if they'd have a show anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Well, he can also like access other university or universes and stuff like that too. Yeah, I guess they could, they could, they could probably lean into that a little bit more going forward. But yeah. at this point, I keep, I keep expecting them to do like a, a like that that Halloween, uh, the Simpsons Halloween episode where I think it's the toaster. Homer creates the time machine or whatever mm-hmm. out of the toaster. <laughs> And so every time he goes back, it just comes back and things just get more and more fucked up until he's just finally like they have long tongues. He's like flying close enough, whatever, and he yeah, sits exactly. down to eat. Yeah. Like, I'm expecting that to happen. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I could do without them, like, continually going back to that well. Like, I feel like that this is probably about the limit of where they can keep going with, you know, very fucked up the timeline let's pull some drama out of it kind of thing i hope um, so but it is a cw show so i don't like hold out hope i mean arrow's been going on for five years now and it's always go leaning back into like him and felicity so yeah i don't ever discount one of those cw writers inability to come up with a new idea to create drama just be like well he can just stick his dick in the timeline again and we have a whole bunch of new stories to tell it's like well all right that's true it's true but although at this point they do have the, the legends characters kind of constantly doing that so I, it makes more sense that they start just using i think they should leave the flash as parallel like because they've talked about how they divide the shows up and it's like supergirls aliens flash was time travel or whatever but like i think now they should kind of if they're gonna like concentrate on the multiverse and flash like that parallel yeah earth kind of thing and then uh leave arrow to be a vigilante town and then let the legends guys do the doctor who stuff yeah the time the yeah the faux Doctor Who stuff. Yeah. Um, well, we haven't got Doctor Who for a little while. It's been like a year since anything. Watched. I mean, the Christmas special aired, but like I haven't watched it yet, so I can't really talk about it. So, no, but it's been a while since there's been a Doctor Who. So having Legends of Tomorrow is like the oddly. This is the big joke of it too. Is that it's like the B grade Doctor Who. So yeah, which <laughs> and they've even got uh, Arthur Darvill. And they've even got Arthur Darvill in there, who's always yeah. really good on the show. So like I oh, can't yeah. begrudge him anything. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really did feel to me in a lot of ways like a major sort of, uh, you know, comic book event, kind of crossover event. Um, so that got me thinking, you know, that maybe we should take the time to talk about uh, crossovers in actual comics, since that's really what inspired all this. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, crossovers are generally a pretty... Mo- or, <laughs> It's weird. I can't really call these crossovers. Like, I'm going to stick to calling them, like, events. Because crossover implies, like, we've just got a couple of characters crossing over sort of thing. Like, when you've got, like, Superman Alien or Batman Predator, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I think you got to kind of define what you're talking about in terms of, like... Because a crossover, to in my first... When you first said crossover to me while we were chatting about doing this episode, I was more like... I'm like, are you, do you just want to talk about, like... JLA versus Avengers, like the intercompany yeah. crossover stuff. But if you're talking about like the inside the company, like book crossover, like the event kind of thing, I think that's yeah. that's probably the easier way to nomenclature it at that point. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's call them events then. So uh, I mean, really, this is sort of something that appears mostly in the modern era of comic books. Uh, which mm-hmm. for those of our listeners that are not super savvy in the comic book lingo uh <laughs> which is good this is gonna be a rough sit for you if you're yeah. not so <laughs> you might want to tune out now not that i would discourage any of our listeners from not from listening um but uh yeah like uh is basically like 1985 or later it's kind of delineated by uh crisis on infinite earth on the dc side and also sort of secret wars on the marvel side to a much lesser extent secret wars on the other side yeah 
Yeah. So, uh, but and yeah. As the Marvel zombie out of the two of us, I will gladly <laughs> say, a much lesser extent. So basically, I mean, there had been some of those sort of big events, but they hadn't really happened in their own books, kind of thing, and hadn't really involved like the, you know, the majority of the of the uh, sort of shared universe kind of thing. So these are stories that are like su- like super continuity heavy and involve a lot of different characters, like from the you know, sort of ground level characters up to like the you know, sort of celestial kind of characters and that sort of thing. And as a reader can be a giant pain in the ass too. So they can be, but they can also be really, really good. So I think we're going to talk both about ones that have been really good and ones that have not. And then there are some that kind of fall in between as well. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think we, we basically have to start this discussion with probably the one that really sort of set this whole trend in motion, which is uh, crisis on infinite earths, which I'm guessing you've read Mark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've read a, a, a long time ago, but I have read it. So it yeah. definitely, yeah, because it sets the stage for the, like, well, what they delineate the DCU up until the new 52 with pre and post crisis, right? Like that was, you kind of had to know what they were talking about in that case. And at one point I was as big a completist as you were, or at least in terms <laughs> of having read the stories that were like mandated by comic book, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, yeah. fandom as being like super important. Um, so I think I have the, was it the, Maybe the 20th anniversary of it. The one that had the giant Alex Ross painting cover. Yeah, the big wraparound. Like, uh, the Absolute uh, Edition, I think. Yeah. I have that somewhere. It's around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's... Yeah, so it's 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 kind of a weird... If you're not familiar with Pre-Crisis, it's a weird thing to read. Especially mm-hmm. because some of the characters are not... Um, portrayed the way they would be going forward. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're Superman, getting that pre-crisis Superman. Superman, the pre-crisis yeah. Batman. They're a little bit different than what uh, sort of the modern takes are. I find especially um, the pre-crisis Superman tends to be characterized much differently than the post-crisis one, and especially the New 52 one. So like, it's he's much mm-hmm. more fatherly, I find, a lot of the time. And especially in that crossover, he tended to be kind of like the elder statesman of everybody. So if I'm yeah, remembering I mean, it correctly. This- yeah, this is the Superman that has like you know he's started to gray at the temples kind of thing. He's been around for a yeah. long, long time, and yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it's basically uh, what would sort of end up being known as the Earth Two uh, Superman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Christ on Infinite Earth was like basically 1985 to 1986. Is 12 issues, uh, written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by uh, George Perez, with a few different anchors. Um, and uh, really, actually, sort of big name anchors though, like yeah, yeah. Dick Giordano, Jerry Ordway, and Mike DiCarlo are all like big, big names in inking. If yeah. you're into that kind of stuff, I yeah. am. So <laughs> I'm a nerd. Fucking tracers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and never discount really... a good tracer, my friend. Never discount <laughs> a good tracer. I mean, it's a really huge story that basically sort of. Um, one of the main motivations for it was to clean up DC's continuity because it had gotten really messy. There were a lot of different Earths and different universes and stuff like that. So one of the things that Christ on Infinite Earths did was it had this... Uh, the main uh, antagonist was the anti- anti-monitor who basically ate entire universes. That was his whole thing, was he wanted to stop everything from existing, which, I don't know is maybe not the best, uh, most compelling motivation for a villain. Well, to be fair, like, we, we talked about um, Secret War. The, yeah. the motivation for the Secret War on the Marvel side was um, he just wanted to see everybody fight each other. 
yeah. ostensibly. So, I mean, it, it was a tie-in for a toy line. Yeah. So, really, the but, DC but, one at least came first. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, both of them really set the stage for a lot of really great um, sort of subplots and character moments and stuff like that. Uh, so, I mean, <clears throat> in terms of Christ on Infinite Earths, this uh, involved the death of Barry Allen, the uh, Earth-1 Flash. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the most lasting comic book deaths like that lasted a good 20 years before 20 he came years. back actually was it 25 before he came back something like that yeah it was pretty close it was uh yeah i guess it was closer to 25 because um this was 986 yeah. he died in issue eight um in a really sort of i i thought really well done death like basically he runs himself to death until he just sort of dissipates into the speed force yeah, which, like, I remember when he came back, a lot of people were like, that may be the most noble comic book death they've done so far, and you're going to fuck it up by bringing him back. Um, yeah. They obviously earned it at this point, because even I, at that point, was like, why are you bringing him back, man? Wally's the Flash. Leave him fucking dead. Like, yeah. he died a hero's death. Let him go. Like, let Wally be the Flash. Yeah. But, like, obviously now it's been so long that I don't really care that much which one is which. <laughs> yeah. And then they've done really good things with Barry after having brought him back. Um, granted... Wally really is my, sort of my Flash because he's the he was the Flash for you know many years after I started collecting. Yeah, so he was also he was the one that Mark Wade wrote that uh, Mike Wieringo drew. So like mm-hmm. that was that Wally West Flash. You and I are the same age, so we're going to have the same like Wally West kind of like story, yeah. which is weird because like I don't give a shit about Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern, but like Wally West is my Flash. So yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other major death in this series uh, was the pre-crisis Supergirl. Yeah. Um, and that ended up with a really iconic cover of uh, the pre-crisis Superman holding her corpse. Um, Which literally gets the... homaged like yeah. once a year by DC Comics. And I think was homaged in an episode of Supergirl this year um, where Su- uh, the new Superman, which I didn't ask, how yeah. are you enjoying him? Uh, the new Superman, yeah, I loved him. He he did really well. I think they they nailed the characterization. Um, he does a really good Clark Kent, and uh, yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. And I I kind of hope that they do spin that off into its own series. Um, uh, but, it should but have I, its own show. Yeah, and I I like that it's basically like it wouldn't end up being an origin story ostensibly. It would mm-hmm. be sort of him. It would be established Superman. Like Smallville was fucking 10 seasons of an origin story yeah um and uh even like uh, uh lois and clark was basically the first season was kind of like him finding his footing and stuff like that whereas this would be more of a uh this is ongoing you know, stories of superman yeah yeah exactly already established in a universe that has other heroes or at least a multiverse that has other heroes and you could also deal with the fact that like he's already taken down Lex Luthor from the sounds of it. So like it would be this would be going forward mm-hmm. into it. You don't have to deal with like those old villains. You get into the, like the more interesting side villains and stuff like that, which would yeah. be nice. But you no, know, I, I was I that my, I, I I wish I'd mentioned it earlier. But yeah, I was wanting to know what you thought about that because yeah. I've been really enjoying. Whenever he shows up, I'm like, oh, good because he's really good in that role. I even like yeah. the costume. The costume's pretty good. So it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, sorry, so, tangent. <laughs> that's all right. We never. But they did. Do, they did do that cover. Like they did do that scene where he picks yeah. her up and is doing that cover, and I, that's why I thought of it. So yeah, they did. And I mean, this this is a story that, on top of sort of condensing all of the verse, various uh, Earths and multiverse 
into basically one prime universe it uh it really did clean up the continuity really well and it set the stage and introduced a lot of characters that would be used a lot in a lot of these uh, later stories as well um which we'll talk about a little bit later but uh i mean yeah this is i i own all i own all of this in in like first prints of the original issues it's not super rare but i mean the whole series in good condition is probably worth like a hundred bucks or so yeah um and it is a very crucial moment in comic book history in dc history for sure now see here's Uh, here's i have a question for you because you're the big dc nerd how much mm -hmm. did this affect batman's continuity at the time did they really like wipe a bunch of shit out because i don't (laughs) i remember because they do they specifically do relaunch um superman Superman. is relaunched with man of steel and also wonder woman is kind of soft relaunched by george perez at this point too but i don't remember there specifically being like it was a couple years later when they did year one wasn't it uh no i think year one was was uh 86 so it was yeah and it it really took batman i think a little bit more away from the more detective-y kind of stories into more of the sort of dark knight uh influenced stories like a little bit grim and grittier uh version of batman um so it it wasn't it wasn't a full relaunch for sure yeah he always seems to sidestep those big relaunches eh? like they did the same thing for new 52 where yeah he kind of got they soft rebooted him but they didn't really reboot him too too bad because he still had six robins already established by the time they (laughs) got back the new 52 or whatever yeah and uh I mean, the, the thing they did do at least was uh, they they went back and sort of retold kind of his origin with the year uh, zero year stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the biggest impact in sort of his uh, change to his backstory with uh, not to be confused with zero hour, which we'll talk about later because that was a bad one. <laughs> uh, I'm, we're gonna fight on that one. You think so? I said I didn't. I didn't overly like it, but I'll let you. I'll let you talk about it. But yeah, the other one we mentioned, we talked about Secret Wars, um, which really, I, I don't. I've read it, but I have no lasting memory of it um, long term. So I'm kind of looking at the. Uh, it was mainly just like it looked like it was Mattel. No, who was it? Who was the toy? Who was their toy manufacturer? Hasbro. No, Hasbro was. Maybe was it was Hasbro DC. I don't know. No, Kenner was DC at the time. Okay. Maybe it was Hasbro. Either way, it was really just to launch a toy line. Mm-hmm. Um, the only lasting thing that really came out of it was the, the black Spider-Man suit. So, yeah. so that was the big thing. It introduced the, well, it didn't even introduce Venom. It introduced the, the 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 costume that would become Venom eventually. Yeah, the costume that would become a symbiote that would become Venom. Venom, yeah, eventually. And there wasn't really a lot that like there was no lasting ramifications to it. It didn't relaunch continuity the same way, like. Yeah. crisis did so it, it happened in uh 85 but it wasn't exact no wait it actually happened before that 84 yeah because secret wars 2 was 85 and the, the less said about that the better because <laughs> yeah, that was so, a tough that's a tough read <laughs> so i read secret wars a little more recently like i read it within the last few years it was basically the first thing that i read uh when i got my uh, marvel unlimited subscription okay um and it's i mean it's all right it's not it the it's just it's it's written really sort of heavy-handedly and in the marvel style of the time where there's just a lot of dialogue Mm -hmm. um and very small panels whereas at the same time dc was doing more of these like really 
grand sort of splashes and that sort of thing, and wow. maybe not f- relying more on the images to tell the story than uh, than just having characters explain what's happening in the drawings. Yeah, Mike Zek and Bob Layton uh, were not. Also, Jim Shooter wrote it. He, he's an editor. He's not really a writer particularly. So he's done. Some, he's wrote some really good stuff, but that is not. I don't. I wouldn't say Secret Wars is his best work. I mean, uh, no. uh, he did. I guess he did some really good. Um, Legion of Superhero stuff, which I have but haven't read yet. Yeah, the, his top listing is definitely Legion of Superheroes. That's the only mm-hmm. thing. Well, Solar Man of the Atom, which I've read bits <laughs> and pieces of, but do not remember fondly. So yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that was definitely that was a, a tougher sit than the uh, than most of those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then from there, let's just. I don't think we need to go sort of contemporary, like go. Uh, in, in order or anything like that but um for me so let's talk about zero hour so zero hour was basically something that sort of came about about 10 years after crisis on infinite earth in the dc universe and uh was sort of set up to clean up some of the continuity that did not get cleaned up very well by crisis on infinite earth was was sort of the the main publisher goal of it uh but in the end, what it ended up doing, the main series actually started at number four and counted down to zero. Yeah, I remember. Um, and the uh, main series was written by Dan Jurgens, written and drawn by Dan Jurgens, who's my favorite uh, comic artist and writer. Uh, so, I mean, I definitely had a soft spot for it there. It involved a lot of the characters that I really enjoy. Like, um, yeah, uh, Hal Jordan is a Green Lantern, who at that point had kind of gone crazy after... Uh, Coast City. Coast City was destroyed and uh, had murdered all the guardians and uh, basically became almost like an omnipotent being named Parallax. Um, yeah. yeah. Which, if you've seen the Green Lantern movie, all four of you who have watched that movie, you, you should be familiar with the concept of Parallax anyway. No, he was a was giant n- cloud. That was nothing near the actual version of Parallax. So Parallax <laughs> so it ended up being retconned as being the entity that... Uh, uh, powers the fear rings the yellow the rings. yellow rings yeah um but yeah what so why didn't you like uh zero hour uh, i just thought it was kind of sloppy i don't know maybe it was maybe i'm just having like i i was having um event fatigue at an early age or something like mm. that at that point um because it was one of those things and that's kind of my main uh beef with the the crossovers is if you want to get the full story you end up having to go pick up Something like 20, 20 or 30 issues of stuff that you're not necessarily reading for a tangential connection to the main story, which is always kind of frustrating. Yeah. Um, I get bought in every once in a while to this kind of stuff. More on the Marvel side, obviously, because that's my my big... Like, that's where I read most of my stuff. I'm going to read superhero stuff. But this one in particular, I remember I was reading pretty actively at the time. And when they started involving... Uh, I was reading Superman and Batman primarily at the time, and when they got involved and they did the zero hour thing, I was like, "Well, now they've taken away the main story of my books for a month, <laughs> or, or a couple months anyway." And then now I've got to go buy this other series, which was Prestige Edition, if I'm not mistaken, or at least more expensive on the cover. Yeah, was the so. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So that's that's my big thing with the crossovers when they do the sorry crossovers the events is that it turns into this like everything gets co opted for a couple months and sometimes it totally uh, yeah ruins the flow of a regular book and I like when we talk about the Marvel side there's a couple that are like really egregiously bad yeah for having yeah. done that 
I, I agree. There are some that do that. For me, at least Zero Hour didn't really do that. Um, it did have a fair number of tie-ins, but uh, the tie-ins, I never, at least, I, I can read Zero Hour without reading the tie-ins and still feel like I'm really getting the story. Um, you're getting most of the story. Like The tie-ins are more just stuff like, hey, there's some weird shit happening with time in this issue and we can chalk that up to zero hour kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I really liked with zero hour was basically once everything, uh, at the end of zero hour, every book got a zero issue, which was a little gimmicky, but it also in most cases gave them a chance to go back and introduce something into the character's past. Uh, so for instance, for the Superman books, it introduced, uh, the character Kevy, Kenny Braverman, who is basically sort of, uh, just this guy that got fucked over by Clark Kent as a child, not on purpose, but, uh, basically his parents like, uh, were comparing him to Clark Kent growing up and, uh, you're fucking getting compared to Superman. Of course you're not going to live up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he ended up being a really compelling villain named Conduit, who uh, forced uh, Batman or forced Superman to give up the persona of Clark Kent for a little while? I remember that story actually. That's interesting. Yeah, that was the death of Clark Kent uh, storyline, which was only about a year or so, or maybe two years after the death of Superman. Um, but it was uh, the hundredth uh, episode or hundredth issue of uh, Superman that that happened in, um, and uh, was I think a really solid story. Um, and the same thing happened in a lot of the other stories. Like they had a chance to go back and like have some flashbacks in those zero issues and, uh, sort of maybe add a new aspect or a new component to the character, or the team's origins or something like that. And the only thing I remember specifically was, I think this is where they took out Batman having like found Joe chill after the fact. I think they, they take yeah, that back I think out. you're right. Yeah, th- there were certain um, elements that they used the that they used zero hour as sort of an excuse to clean up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the one I remember because I was really reading Batman at the time. Um, mm-hmm. As a, as a young thirteen year old Batman fan, I remember that being like, "Oh, that's interesting that they're really changing what had been a pretty established like he did confront him at some point in the post crisis continuity, and now he hadn't." Yeah, and they've never gone back on that either. I think they've left that as is, where he's never really had a chance to like confront him. Although I may be mistaken about that. Yeah, I can't remember at this point. I mean that 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 is one thing that they that they go back to and talk about fairly regularly is sort of how those events uh, yeah, take place. Shape, yeah, t- take place and like shaped uh, his his future and his path and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like like Christ on Infinite Earth, this is one that I really like because I love these ones that really just like play with time. And there's also usually a lot of really nice little like nods to old continuity and the history of DC because that's one thing that I really like like about DC is that they have a lot of legacy to draw from. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Zero Hour and Christ on Infinite Earth, I think both did that. Um, and then there is another villain in it uh, called Monarch uh, who was actually introduced in another of these uh, sort of major events. Did you read Armageddon 2001? No. no. <laughs> I was outside the DC mainline by then. I was, uh, <laughs> I'd was i started to veer into the independent side of things, I think, by 2001. It was pretty much a Marvel zombie. And no, it was, it was 1991. Oh, then, uh, me, no, then I, I might have been, I don't know, I've been too early. It was that, is that pre death of Superman? Like pre nightfall? Yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. I would, I would have been like interested, <laughs> but not buying at that point. So, 
Yeah, so Armageddon 2001, um, it was another one of these sort of time stories. It was basically, uh, it was the story that introduced Wave Rider. Oh, okay. And the Linear Men. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so Wave Rider now is the name of the Legends of Tomorrow ship, but originally mm-hmm. it was a character that was yeah. basically sort of a steward of time. Um, part of he, the, has a, uh, he has a little side story in the uh, Funeral for a Friend storyline, I think. Yeah, a really nice one, too. Yeah, it's a good one. Because yeah. I think, it, is it Rip Hunter that he deals with, too? Yeah, Rip Hunter. I mean, um, yes, he is. I mean, they're all linear men together, and there's not very many of them in the yeah. you know, DC universe at that But point. I think I remember, like, Wave Rider trying to go back and stop it, and, like, somebody yeah. stopping him, and I thought it was Rip Hunter, and I was like, is that what I'm talking about? Maybe I'm Yeah, uh, I think it's Rip Hunter and uh, Leary Lee, who's the female yeah. linear yeah. man. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so basically the the... Idea behind that was it was uh, he was going back in time ten years from two thousand one to nineteen ninety one because there was this villain named Monarch but nobody knew his identity except to know that he used to be a hero mm-hmm. and so he was going back in time and one of Wave Rider's powers was that he could uh, um, basically touch somebody and see their future see what they would become their sort whole of thing yeah. yeah so uh, they did this through all of the annuals that year. He would go around and touch people and then the story for the episode would be the future of that character or or a or a possible future of that character. What do you say just say touch them it makes it sound <laughs> kind of dirty in so, their butts. Yeah, it touched them in their butts. <laughs> <laughs> he would he would dock with them. Yeah, he would yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> So, I mean, that was a one that was kind of like a hit or miss. There were some really good ones. There were some really shit ones. Uh, but in the end, there was sort of a bookend series. It was Armageddon 2001, like one and two. And in the end, I guess what had happened was uh, it was supposed to be one character that uh, was going to end up becoming Monarch. And in the end, uh, it, ch- it changed because it got leaked. Uh... Um, Armageddon 2001 is generally disliked by readers for what some has described as the dishonesty of its resolution. <laughs> yeah, so what was supposed, was supposed to happen... To what Captain Adam? Yeah, everything was pointing towards that it was going to be Captain Adam that uh, ended up becoming Monarch, and then in the end, they switched it, and it was Hawk. It was uh, Hank, Hank Hall, uh, Hawk and Dove. Ugh. Kind, of a, kind of a minor character, um, yeah. although they have... Yeah, um, so... Uh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of a bait and switch that a lot of people weren't very happy with, with that particular story. I just find it interesting too. If you go and look on like Wikipedia, like there's both companies have like a big list of big crossover events yeah. and they'll have, well, events more, I should say events, but yeah. like, um, the DC one, uh, well, sorry, it's about half the length of the Marvel one. Yeah, for starters. it is. It is half. It is about half the length. But it's also like they do bring in a lot of like, because um, they'll they'll consider it an event, but it can just be like a line event. And I find those are the ones that I'm more interested in, where mm-hmm. it just kind of crosses over inside a line, like inside a specific character's the world. X Men books or or the Avengers books. Or something Specifically, like that. I'm because I'm looking at the DC one right now. Like the 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 storyline that that ran under. Was it Chuck Dixon editing all the Bat books for like most of the '90s and early 2000s? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And also writing Robin. Yeah, and he was writing Robin as well. But like um, having him go like because he did Nightfall and then went from like Nightfall into um, like Contagion and then Legacy and then Cataclysm um, mm-hmm. and then No Man's Land and then like Bruce Wayne Fugitive. 
Um, we, they, these are all Batman stories that like I grew up with, and that's like I find that more interesting to me than anything else because like it's just inside that little like world. It's only yeah. those books that are affected by it, and even post New Fifty Two, where like they had Death of the Family. And it crossed over into all the Bat books, but it didn't yeah. really affect like the whole DC line because it was just a Joker-centric Batman story. Yeah. And it didn't um, have like a dedicated series. Like most of the ones we're talking about here had like their own series or at least bookend kind of pieces like this sort of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. So those are the ones that I kind of get into. But like, I'm looking at this list, like the uh, the list. I remember getting really into Identity Crisis, and then yeah, that was one that was on my list. And then but getting super let down by the ending of it. It just feeling kind of like uh, it just felt like a letdown. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can talk about identity crisis. So that's more recent. That was like two thousand five, two thousand four. Yeah. Um, so identity crisis. Um, um, you looking it up? So it was actually written by Brad Meltzer and drawn yeah. by Rags Morales. Well, the art on it was great. Yeah, yeah. That was that was when he became kind of a prominent DC artist too. So. Um, it was kind of interesting, but it was the who's the who died at the beginning of it? Uh, oh, sorry, Sue Dibney. Yeah, uh, Sue Dibney. Elongated Man's. Yeah, is murdered at the beginning, and uh, and then yeah. it it sort of comes to light that whoever the murderer was knows basically all of their secret identities. Yeah, and this um, is also the beginning of uh, it has an interesting, and I'm just going to continuously talk about the Batman tie into it because this is where batman really like starts going down the super paranoid bat god path yeah. like this is where he starts really losing it in terms of not trusting anybody so yeah and then and then basically everybody finds out that he has like all these secret plans that on how to defeat all of them which you know we would say now like of course he does he's batman but at that time that was kind of a new sort of concept yeah, it, was, that he was it was kind of a new idea at that point ahead. yeah and that was and th- and that level of paranoia too was also I think what was became kind of a big deal with everybody where he was mm-hmm. just like so terrified of like the possibility of one of these guys going rogue that he would just have a plan to take down. And they do is that is it before or after they did that JLA story? Uh, or was it around the same? It was time? it was it was the same time basically. Yeah, it happened like yeah. right along with this in the JLA in the main JLA book. Yeah, because there is there is a story where I think it's Rachel Ghoul actually picks up those plans and takes out the Justice League using Batman's plans. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a Grant Morrison Justice League story, which is if you're going to read a, a Justice League run, that's some of the uh, best one stuff. Re- yeah. Some of the best stuff to read. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this um, is where uh, this is where DC gets super dark too. Like Identity Crisis, I think, is where the the really grim DC mid two thousands kind of kicks in. So. Yeah, and then so in the end, it end up, ends up being uh, Gene Loring, who was uh, a former lover of uh, or for, uh, ex-wife of uh, Ray Palmer, the Atom, yeah. um, that uh, basically stole his shrinking belt and used it to kill Sue Dibney. Uh, and uh, yeah, but w- it really it's a good story because it really sort of caused a massive schism in the. Justice League and a lot yeah. of sort of drama spun out from it. Um, so it was an interesting yeah. take on the Justice League too, because the Trinity's not as central to it as like they generally are. It, I remember it revolving a lot more around kind of the secondary leaguers, more Firestorm, and I think Doctor uh, yeah. Light pr- played a pretty big as a villain played a pretty big role in it as well. Isn't that where this is the one where he had raped Sue Dibney or something like that? Is that this story? Uh, I think it may have been, yeah. 
or let's see. Uh, no, is Doctor Light was the main suspect uh, in the murder? Yeah, but didn't, don't they find out at some point in the past he had raped her or something like that? And that's where everybody that, was like, no, "Well, this is way darker than it's supposed to be." That's the other massive um, sort of reveal in this is that uh, Zatanna had gone back and meddled with everybody's right. minds. Um, so Zatanna is a magic user for those of you that don't know, and she had uh, basically there had been an event in the past where. Uh, yeah, I think it was Dr. Light had gone, had raped Sue Dibney, and uh, there was some motivation, some reason that, uh, oh, it was that they all wanted to kill him because of it, basically, or like, yeah, do so great I think, harm I, to think, him. I think Oliver was going after him to kill him or something like yeah. that. Like, he had lost his shit and was just like, I'm going in and he's done. And they instead decided that, because they also mind wiped wipe their minds, yeah. And they and, also. And, and this is also where the Batman paranoia starts to kick in because Batman finds out about that Satana had affected his mind. Yeah. And that's where he starts to be like, okay, fuck all these guys. I'm figuring out how to take everybody down because I can't yeah. trust any of these fuckers anymore. Yeah. And basically Zatanna also like magically lobotomizes um, uh, Dr. Light as well, which turns him into basically sort of like a an idiot, like shitty villain kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas previously he had been, uh, you know, really just brutal villain. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, it definitely is somewhere that, that DC did take a really dark turn. Yeah, I remember reading this and just being like, this is not the comics I grew up with as a kid anymore. <laughs> yeah. This shit is dark. Yeah, for sure. We've been talking a lot about DC. Uh, do you have any uh, really good Marvel ones that you want to bring into the conversation here? Um, I'm just trying to figure out if there's ones that you would have read. <laughs> the I can tell you right now, the main ones that I've read are Secret Wars, which you already talked about, and Civil yeah. War. Okay, well, Civil War, I have problems with Civil War. Um, <laughs> I find that a lot of it is a little bit out of character, but it was a huge, huge story, and like one of the best-selling books of all time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, also, is it also, no, it was Mark Wade, right? No, it's uh, Mark or Millar, and Mark Millar. with art by the magnificent Steve McNiven. Um, mm. Yeah, so the story of that is like the, the Marvel superheroes are kind of divided uh, on the like a superhuman registration act after a, I'm trying to remember who it is. A team of like Zedless superheroes. Yeah, we have actually probably. <laughs> we did. Open we talked about this there. Said, yeah, um, yeah. It was that. Uh, it was Nitro. Yeah, Nitro blows up near a school on national television and kills a bunch of people. And the U.S. government decides that it's time for all the superhumans to start to register. Mm-hmm. Um, with the thing, and it turns into uh, like the 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 major motion picture from this past summer. Uh, it turns into Iron Man versus Captain America on the opposite sides of this thing, but for a very different reason. But for a very different reason, and Tony acting way out of character, unlike in <laughs> the movie where he was pretty like they had him they had him pretty nailed at that point. So yeah, but yeah, so it ends up being uh, Cap being anti registration, um, feeling that they shouldn't necessarily be controlled by the government, and then. Uh, Tony being pro-registration and I think at that point he kind of started taking over um, he took over S.H.I.E.L.D. in the the fallout of Civil War it's also the the storyline from this also leads into the death of Captain America too so it had massive repercussions throughout the MCU or the Mm -hmm. MU like in the 616 616? yeah 616 (laughs) shut up fucking multiverse boy (laughs) um yeah, this was one like it was it was at a time where I just uh I was reading everything DC basically, but I 
was working a job where I had a lot of extra money. So I was like, yeah, why not branch out into DC or into Marvel a little bit? Cause I like the Marvel characters and stuff. I just didn't have the, really the time or the money to collect it. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, so I, I bought it. I read the whole series. I liked it. It wasn't enough to like get me hooked and reading a bunch of Marvel books or anything like that, but I thought it was pretty good. And I didn't have the same issue you did in terms of it being out of character because I wasn't reading any of the other books at the time, so I didn't really know the characterizations that they were that they all had at that point. Well, sorry, there's just like a, there's a lot of little uh, character moments that are really good, like that are are nice in there. It's just this, like Tony and uh, it's Hank Pym and uh, Reed Richards. Mm-hmm. are on the pro registration side and acting massively like fascistly totalitarian about everything and it's really weird especially to see um somebody like Hank Pym who is all about second chances just going like hardline on something like this it it was yeah. it felt a little weird um but it did have a lot of nice stuff cuz at the time all of a sudden they're trying to get Daredevil to register and but at the time Matt Murdock in continuity was in jail mm. um so it was another another it was Daredevil? actually it was Iron Fist Oh. Was, was running around dressed as uh, as Daredevil. So the, as the, the as regist- a sighted Daredevil. Yeah, as a sighted Daredevil, because they 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 some of the pro registration guys corner him, and all of a sudden he like the fist fires up and he punches one of them with the iron fist, <laughs> and they're like, "Wait, you're not actually Daredevil. He doesn't have that power." He's like, "Well, no, but I'm actually Danny Rand." So, um, and uh, this was also the story in which uh, Peter Parker reveals his yeah unmasks himself. Yeah, uh, because he ends up sort of on the pro registration side temporarily. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he flip flops. Yeah, he hard goes back and forth. Yeah, but it does get you that cool Iron Spider uh, outfit that he had that uh, right. Mike Turner designed, which is really neat. And that was um, that uh, Reed Richards made for him, right? Is that uh, right? Tony Stark. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tony Stark. This is kind of like that was kind of the the start of the Tony Stark Peter Parker bromance that has gone on through continuity since then. Yeah, um, and they've been now kind popping of up in the. Uh, the MCU. MCU. Yeah. Which is great because, like, it totally makes sense that Tony, if he's the more senior superhero at the time, would take a science nerd kid, also yeah. a superhero, under his wing. Um, but they've been playing into that in the, the, the main comics, too. Mm-hmm. Um, where actually, at this point, um, post Superior Spider Man, Peter Parker is um, running his own company that the Octavius Spider Man had kind of created. So he's mm-hmm. kind of become the de facto. Iron Man right now it's it's still he's still Spider-Man but like he is running around with like millions of dollars at his disposal and still fighting crime and stuff like that it's yeah. it's kind of weird it doesn't feel like Spider-Man but it's still like this makes more sense in terms of like where the character should be as yeah. opposed to being like constantly like you know whatever shit upon kind of thing but anyway yeah. uh no but Civil War was a huge like deal it was also like it happened right after uh Ragnarok had happened so Thor was dead so the Thor that appears in the story is not actually Thor it's a they call him Clore. It's a clone, a cybernetic clone of Thor mm-hmm. that comes down, which has huge repercussions down the road when Thor come, like when the Asgardians come back. In uh, I think it's J. Michael Straczynski wrote the the Return of Thor kind of series. It's one of my favorite Thor stories, actually. One of the few times I actually collected Thor on a regular basis. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, Tony Tony comes up to talk to him about working for Shield and stuff like that, and Thor just like fucks him up hardcore because. <laughs> He's not happy about the clone situation because the clone had killed Goliath, um, whose name I can't remember. The, or Black Goliath. It was Black Goliath before, but the Goliath character at the time. Uh, he killed him when he first showed up, and everybody was like, a lot of people, it was the turning point in the series where a lot of people kind of turned back to Cap's side. Yeah. Uh, was them killing Goliath with the Chlor, like right. the Thor clone. Yeah. Um, 
but it was like it is it's like a huge it's a fun read if you're just sitting there and you don't know anything about what's going on in the 616 at the time or you have no real feel for most of the characters like it's a good read but as soon as you start taking into consideration what was going on in continuity at the time you're like what is happening here? Like, it all makes no sense. The only good thing is, like, when they finally go talk to the X-Men in, like, issue five or something like that, they're like, go fuck yourselves. Where were you when Genosha happened? Because it was right <laughs> after... Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think Cassandra Nova had just, like, wiped out Genosha with a giant sentinel, and yeah. nobody helped them. And it was just, like, the new X-Men team had gone in to, to deal with it, but that was it. So, <laughs> like, Emma Frost, more or less, is just like, fuck you nope. guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So like really the only the only X Men characters that show up is like Logan is on like Wolverine at the time was on the Avengers because he was in every book at that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Wolverine does show up in in some of the regular stuff, but for the most part the X Men are kind of sidelined in this story, which is kind of Marvel Marvel like fact is always like if they're going to do a big crossover, unless the X Men are named in it, the X Men are not going to be involved for the most part. So yeah. Um, but yeah, no, ever since then, though, yeah, Marvel's been on, like, a giant run of just, like, constant Yeah, fucking... just one after the other, it seems Actually, like. Actually, you know what? Like that's a not couple of years, at least. That's not even the first one. The first one that, like, really, like, hit... When it really started to hit hard uh, was Avengers Disassembled in 2004, mm-hmm. um, which led into my favorite run of Avengers, because that was where the new Avengers started, and that's where, like... Um, Iron Man recruits like Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Spider-Man and Wolverine and Doctor Strange and a more kind of ground level but more es- but a more esoterically kind of weird conflicted team than the traditional like Big Three and yeah. Hawkeye kind of Avengers <laughs> that you're used to kind of seeing Yeah, so it's a more interesting take on the Avengers but that ran for like ever through um, they did Secret War um which I can't remember what that one was about exactly. One of them I read, was uh, I read all this Kree, shit. Was Cree uh, or whatever that were impersonating a bunch of. That was Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, that was a couple years later. That was 2008. Um, I just remember most of the time. I just remember who penciled it because it was uh, I don't remember how to pronounce his name, but you, Lenel, you, hmm. he penciled it. I don't remember who wrote it. It was probably. Brian Michael Bendis, because he, I think he penciled or wrote most of these crossovers. Yeah. But the Marvel stuff was just like, yeah, they hit hard and fast. The Secret War went right into House of M. Um, House of M, I've heard a lot of good things about. Yeah, it's No More Mutants. That's where uh, the Scarlet Witch goes nuts. Scarlet Witch, yeah. Yeah, and like loses her mind and kind of like takes over. But they had concurrent ones going on at the same time. So like while Civil War and uh, shit was the one I was just talking about. House of M are happening, like, World War Hulk is going on, like, the Illuminati stuff's happening, and the World War Hulk's yeah. going on off-planet, and then, like, Annihilation's happening in, on the cosmic side of things. Like, there's always some giant fucking event going on in the M- in the uh, 616 that's just, yeah. like... And it's actually what has kind of worn me, at, worn me down to the point where I'm like, I don't... As soon as they start announcing uh, crossover stuff happening, I'm like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. Because between um, Secret Invasion and... Civil War and House of M, the new Avengers line or the new Avengers run that Brian Michael Bendis was writing that had all those cool, like had that cool lineup of Avengers, kept getting fucked with because it kept like they're like all the Avengers into these events. Yeah, it gets sucked into all these events. So all of a sudden, like the story that he's telling just gets butchered because like oh wait we're we're gonna kill that character in this crossover so that character you're writing a story around is fucking gone now. So forget that story. We're gonna go over here and do this other thing now. But wait 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 we're gonna kill somebody else. So you need to 
promote them a little bit in the book, and then we're yeah. gonna kill them in the next cross, and it just got to be too much. Um, yeah, that is one thing that these events tend to do in a lot of cases is they cause a lot of sort of editorial uh, meddling and stuff like that, and it it is a pretty commonly cited reason for like creators or and writers leaving, leaving. books. Yeah. It's also a commonly cited reason for readers to just kind of like bail out and go into the independent side of stuff. Because this is around the time where I would go like hard line onto the image side of stuff and just like, oh, Robert Kirkman's not going to have one of these huge crossovers in Mm -hmm. Invincible that it wasn't planned by him or isn't going to affect his stuff or whatever. So I can just go read that and just worry about his story and not do that kind of stuff anymore. But presumably they also bring in a lot more readers or they wouldn't do them, right? So it's a matter, it's a balancing act. I think they spike the readership a little bit, but once they go, they they pan back out, they tend to kind of dip. I don't know how it works exactly anymore. I mean, it depends on on the event. And I mean, some of them probably bring in more, like, I mean, Christ on Infinite Earths, like after that, there were just a huge influx of DC readers coming on board and that sort of thing. So I think post-Civil War, there were a lot of uh, people that jumped on board for that as well. No, absolutely. I remember because I was, it was something that like a lot of my friends that weren't reading at the time. Like, they hopped back in because of that. And I was just mm-hmm. like, way to be fair, Weather fans, guys. Like, I've been here the whole time. And it fucked up a bunch of my books. So. Yeah. Um, well, uh, since we're jumping back and forth between Marvel and DC here, do we want to talk about Marvel versus DC? We can talk about it. Which one? <laughs> so there's a couple... <laughs> There's a couple. Let, let's uh, let's just talk about them kind of as a whole. The first one is mainly is the main sort of series, um, and uh, yeah, so that was what around like '96 or something like that. Well, there's um, like a history of like Marvel and DC kind of crossing over, um, like going way back to. I'm trying to think what was the first one I remember. Spider-Man and Spider-Man Superman. Superman. Yeah. yeah, that was the first big crossover. Yeah. But I mean, that's more just a crossover. Like this was really another like event. Like this yeah. was uh, four issue series. Two issues were published by DC. Two issues were published by Marvel. Um, written by Ron Mars and Peter David, and uh, art by Dan Jurgens and uh, Claudio Castellini. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's like two. They basically it's just an excuse for the two universes to combat each other. So there's a uh, uh, two like godly brothers that embody the two universes that become aware of each other and decide that they're going to challenge each other and they just so basically dumb, though. it is so it's dumb. so dumb but it's still it, it it's so it's again it's a framework that that puts into a place a lot of really good little moments and scenes mm-hmm. and stuff like that that never would have happened otherwise mm-hmm. um so basically he sets up a bunch of battles between uh certain characters like some of the really now my odd- question did you vote no, I wasn't reading actively at this time. I didn't oh, start no. actually actively collecting and reading until like 97, um, which was uh, right around the uh, Electric Superman. That was yeah. when I started. And, and at that point, it was only Superman. Um, okay. I, I'd, I'd, I'd occasionally go to the comic store and just pick up an issue or two, but I wasn't like, really okay. hardcore reading. I was um, like pretty actively reading at this point. And I remember, uh, I might have, I'm not sure if it came in a book or they handed it out at the comic store or yeah. it came in wizard or something like that. Um, which is dating me horribly by saying that I, <laughs> I was, a, I was a wizard, like aficionado. Um, <laughs> but like you could go and vote. And this is like, this is a weird thing that comic book does. Like every 10 years, they'll do like vote for some character to, to live or die. Or in this case, like what Jason they actually Todd did the most, the most, yeah. uh, well-known instance of that. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, so like if you don't know, Jason Todd, the it was Robin two. They had a vote, like what you could call a one nine hundred number, and it was within a couple votes too to whether to kill the Robin or to yeah. to save him. And uh, they killed the they killed them like they voted the fans at the time voted for him to fucking die because uh, he was a kind of an obnoxious fucking character. Yeah, he was kind of a shit character. So they had the Joker beat him to the crowbar and then blow him up just to make yeah. sure it was like final. And guess what? It's comic books. It wasn't. Still, he still came back. So <laughs> that was another lasting death, though. That was like a good like fifteen years or so before he came back. Well, that was right around the time in Captain America they brought Bucky back. It was like we're gonna bring back all the dead sidekicks at this point. Yeah. So uh, when Bucky reappeared, I think the only person who's stayed dead is Uncle Ben. Which if he doesn't stay dead, there's no point in Spider-Man being Spider-Man anymore. So because mm-hmm. there was a rule before that was like only Bucky and Uncle Ben stay dead, and then Ed Brubaker was like, no, 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 fuck that. Only Uncle Ben stays dead and brought Bucky back. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the DC versus Marvel book, I remember like so much hype. I think I have, I think I got one of the posters they have at the comic mm-hmm. store in St. Catharines. I probably still have it rolled up at my parents' house. Um, that I I asked, I think I probably bought it from them. That's how big a nerd I was. Like I wanted it so bad. I'm sure there was a bunch of people who wanted it. It was pretty much the cover of number one blown up, with the two sides kind of split down the middle with their opposing yeah. people, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, they had so th- it was ostensibly like a three issue crossover miniseries that just four. had was it four? Yeah. Oh no, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So it was four issues, and then issue one and four were DC versus Marvel Comics, and then issue two and three were Marvel versus Marvel, DC. Marvel versus DC. Yeah. yeah. And it had the the fights in it that you could vote on. Um, and legit, like, had to like check mark and mail in too. So yeah. like, I don't know. Like, this is pre internet. I think. Well, not really, but like close enough. Yeah. And I, the most of the matchups I thought were really good. Like it was Aquaman versus Namor, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Electra versus Catwoman. Okay. Flash versus Quicksilver. Yeah. Uh, Robin versus Jubilee. That, that one's a little weird. It's the nine. It's in the middle of the X-Men TV show run, which means when Jubilee. Yeah. Jubilee's a pretty, pretty big character. Yeah. Cause um, otherwise if you did that now, it would be probably be like, Robin versus Kitty Pride or something like that, which would be yeah. actually a, a more interesting fight. Yeah. Um, Silver Surfer versus Green Lantern, which is another one that's kind of weird. Yeah, uh, considering how powerful the Silver Surfer tends to be. That's, yeah. That's kind of a lopsided fight. Yeah. Um, Thor versus Captain Marvel. Again, kind of a strange matchup. Th- Superman versus Hulk, which I don't really... I think they could have... Well, I don't know. There's not really anybody in the Marvel Universe that I would pick to put up against Superman. Well, now you have uh, Sentinel, which would be the only one who's got the equivalent kind of power to him. But mm. like that's way later. Um, um, Spider-Man versus Superboy. That one was a good matchup. I remember because that was also that wasn't even Peter Parker at the time. That was Ben Riley. Oh yeah. yeah. So that was in the middle of the uh, off-malign clone saga. So <laughs> it wasn't even. Uh, well, the off-line clone saga that lasted like fucking ten years. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> the, the, the the clone saga that caused me to stop reading most Marvel books for like the end of the nineties. So, um, and then there was uh, Wolverine visit versus Lobo, which I think is maybe the most perfect matchup. Yeah, uh, of all of them. Although and then, to be fair, uh, Lobo stood toe to toe with Superman, so they're not really the super fairest fight on the planet. Well, the, but 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 they they both ha- are basically unkillable. Yeah. And are both yeah, like true. feral creatures kind of thing. So that's true. 
Um, there's Storm versus Wonder Woman, so you had basically like Amazons fighting against each other. Yeah. Um, and, and then, then Batman versus Captain America. Batman which, versus Captain America. Which is still the only fight in this whole thing that I would want to see, I think. I, I think it should have been Batman versus Iron Man, though. But Iron uh, Man wasn't as big a character. Iron Man movie. was barely a blip on the radar at this point. I'm yeah. like, it's it's funny to see like he really only rose to prominence because of Robert yeah. Downey Jr. being like king of the world or whatever. Yeah. So, but ostensibly, the most interesting thing that came out of this was there was a point at which the two brothers basically merged their universes together, oh. and. Right. They ended up with the that. Amalgam universe. So there was about 12 issues or something like that where they put out um, a uh, basically merged characters. So there was like Dark Claw, who was a Batman merged with Wolverine, and Spider-Boy, who was Spider-Man merged with Superboy, and uh, let's see. I'm, trying to, I'm, looking, I'm looking it up because I can't remember anymore. Yeah, there was uh, X, not uh, X League, I think, which was uh, Justice League merged with X Men. There was Spider Boy. Um, yeah, an amalgamation of DC's Superboy and a clone of Marvel Spider Man. Yeah, Super there was, Soldier was Super Soldier, so obviously Captain America and Superman. Su- yeah, Superman and yeah, and uh, let's see, Doctor Strange Fate, which was Doctor Strange and Doctor Fate and merged Dr. together. Fate, yeah. Doctor Doomsday, an amalgamation of Doomsday and Doctor Doom. <laughs> Dead Eye, an amalgamation of Deadshot and Marvel's Bullseye. Possibly the most ridiculous one, Lobo the Duck. Lobo oh, with right. the Duck. I remember that idiocy. <laughs> I do remember that. Uh, let's see, Iron Lantern, who is uh, Green Lantern and Iron Man merged together. Yeah. Um. Some Magneto and the Magnetic weird. Men, which was Magneto and the Metal Men, yeah, together. Uh, Speed Demon, who is the Flash and uh, Ghost Rider. I don't remember that. Merged, merged together. Um, okay. Bruce Wayne, Agent of Shield, which is basically Bruce Wayne replacing Nick Fury. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It, I yeah. mean, there was some really interesting stuff that came out of that. There was some other like weird, really weird stuff. But the thing that I found that was most interesting about it was that they played it off like they were like ongoing series. Like these characters had like a long storied history. Yeah, and like the the editors were like referring back to like previous issues that didn't exist and shit like that. Yeah. So they were clearly having a lot of fun with it. Oh, I'm sure they were just all in a room together, just getting shit faced. Yeah. yeah the- the secret of the jerking uh, each other off. Yeah, pretty much. The secret of the comic book industry is that, in spite of the uh, the long the long and storied rivalry between Marvel and DC, uh, all these guys have worked for both companies over the years, and they're all really good friends. Majority so. of them have, yeah, yeah. So they, they go back and forth across the uh, across. Well, they used to call it across the street. Uh, they used to go yeah. back and forth a lot. Now it's across the country because I think the DC <laughs> yeah. offices were moved to LA, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that was the uh, the convergence event was basically an excuse for DC to move their or a, a way for them to have enough time off that they could move their offices across the company or country. Um, all right, well, moving on from that then, uh, which is a lot of fun but not really particularly relevant, lasting or yeah. Uh, did you read DC One Million? That was like 1998 or uh, I probably re- I probably read parts of it. Uh, but I have no lasting memory of it. So basically, they took the whole DC universe like 800-something thousand years into the future. 
So it's basically they they actually sat down and calculated. Uh, okay, how long would it take for like Action Comics to get to issue, issue one million? One million. Yeah, eight hundred fifty third century. So eighty five thousand two hundred and one, eighty five thousand three, eighty five thousand three hundred eighty. Yeah, and so it was this like crazy uh, futuristic world, and uh, there's. Uh, basically the uh, JLA at the time, it was a Grant Morrison written miniseries. Yeah. Um, seven issues. And the uh, like sort of modern day JLA got sucked into this future, like a million year or whatever, eight, 800,000 years in the future or whatever. And uh, eight, eight, 83,000 years or something like that. Yeah. it was. So this is another miniseries that didn't really, it's not one of those ones that had a really lasting like impact or anything like that. Uh-huh. Although they have called back to it a few times. Um, but, uh, it was, it just had a lot of really nice sort of little character moments. And I liked, it it was again, another series that played a lot with sort of, uh, the legacy of these characters, because by this point, all of these, you know, uh, original superheroes had sort of passed into legend or whatever. Um, that's always been a big DC thing, like the, uh, the legacy of the characters. So I remember, I remember they were leaning on that very heavily at the time too. Yeah. Um, and then let's see what else. Around the same time, uh, let's talk about some fucking duds. DC had uh, Genesis and Day of Judgment around the same time. Both uh, of those are we are, not? Are we not going to talk about Bloodlines? You, if we can talk about Bloodlines, <laughs> you can talk about Bloodlines. <laughs> I just remember it because it was like really fucking horrible. It was like the DC superheroes go up against alien parasites. New superheroes are created from some of their victims. Um, none of those characters lasted for longer than like 15 minutes. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember anything about it. I just remember it was... Hit, no. Take it back. Hitman came out of this. Did he really? Yep. Hitman was a fucking Bloodlines villain. Uh, uh, so basically what it was is that um, these huge, stupid-ass fucking-looking aliens um, invaded, and there were two... Basically, there were two bookend issues, and it went through all of the uh, annuals. And essentially, every annual is just an excuse to create a new character, because um, what would happen was these aliens would feast on uh, spinal fluid. Right. And if you had a certain like sort of latent metagene and the aliens feasted on you, then instead of dying, you would become a superhero. And so Hitman was one of those, was one of those ones whose like metagene was triggered by uh, having, right. Yep. He was the only one, the only other one that really sort of had any sort of uh, lasting effect was, um, or lasting that that lasted all was, uh, let's see. Uh, was probably loose cannon, but even him, he's a pretty fucking minor DC I character. Don't that at all. Hitman went on for a while though. I remember that book lasting for a little. while. I didn't realize he came yeah, out of Bloodlines. That was. That was I just John, remember that John McCray and Garth uh, Ennis. Garth right? Ennis, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just remember that storyline kind of like eating up a big chunk of like that summer in '93. Yeah. Um, yeah at least was, in that case, though, it was it was all in the annual, so it didn't really interrupt the uh, the main stories, but. They were. It was not not good. Very no. not good. Didn't it kind of take over the annuals that year or something like that? Wasn't that what, what yeah, that was? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was. It was every annual was basically a bloodline story. Um, and right. the, and the, the weird thing too was that this is um, in the sort of Death and Return of Superman era. So it was like 
the four replacement Superman. It was like Cyborg Superman and the Eradicator mm-hmm. and Steel. Yeah, and it, I think it was also uh, Jean-Paul Valley. I think it was also Azrael. Yeah, I know. It was, it was definitely titles. the Azrael. It was definitely the Azrael Batman because 93 would have been in the middle as, of the Night Quest stuff. Yeah, as bats. As bats. But I could have yeah. swore they had... Oh, you know what? I'm looking at the Wikipedia thing and why I'm confused. The cover actually has long hair mullet Superman on it. Because by the end, he, which is the bloodbath, which was the, yeah, it was, uh, he'd come back by the end because it was a long thing, right? Because it it basically took place over the course of a whole year as all these annuals were coming out. Right, right, right. Okay. So there was like there was uh, bloodbath, which was at the end. There was like bloodlines, which I think was just one or two issues at the start, um, yeah. and then bloodbath sort of closed it all out, which is a two issue miniseries at the end. I just remember the story was yeah. really bad. <laughs> yeah, it was not particularly compelling. Like you could tell that it was just an excuse to fucking uh, you know fill up the annuals plot for device. The well, I have this plot device where they could introduce a whole bunch of new characters, and hopefully yeah. a couple of them would stick. actually stick and. One maybe did, yeah. So I don't know if it was really worth it, but yeah. Um, all right. Let's let's. Did you read uh, Genesis? It's like ninety seven. Mm, it sounds familiar. What's it about? Hold so this on. was like around the Electric Superman time. It was basically it was kind of a new Godsy storyline, and it oh. was sort of this huge retcon that there was a God wave that passed through the universe, and yeah. it was what caused. Basically, the superhero age. Okay, yeah. It's really fucking weak and tenuous. And uh, it, it did have some really nice moments with the cyborg Superman, though, because part of it was that he was trying to merge with the source wall. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. I don't um, remember specifically why any of that or- was happening. Yeah, it was. It was he, not that he was trying to. He was basically trying to like gain the knowledge of the source wall or something like that. I guess. Um, for, for the listeners, explain if you can what the source <laughs> wall is. <laughs> so basically, the uh, DC universe has these characters called the New Gods, and the Old Gods. Basically, they sort of subsume the roles of the Old Gods. The Old Gods. Uh, I guess it's sort of a. Um, tree of knowledge sort of idea like they got flew too close to the sun and tried to gain like ultimate knowledge and in the end instead became frozen and became what is now known as the source wall which is ostensibly at the edge of the dc universe and it's basically all these just huge giants with their arms outstretched that have been turned to stone and have all merged together to become a wall yeah it's as ridiculous as it sounds. <laughs> it is, but it's been the basis of a lot of really good stories over the yeah. years. Um, yeah. So let's. So that that one was. Uh, let's see who who wrote. Oh, John Byrne wrote that. That mm-hmm. was John. John Byrne sort of peaked in the mid eighties. Yep. Um, the art was decent though. It was Ron Wagner and uh, Joe Rubenstein. But again, it was well, something that was pretty unmemorable, but had some really good moments in it. Um, all right, I need to talk about something good again. Uh, did you read Final Night? Yeah, that was a yeah, really I, good cross. A lot really of good um, event. a lot of the Jeff Johns. Um, they did a couple of the night stuff because they're all Green Lantern focused, right? It was. Um, what was the other one? Was uh, one. Black, Blackest Night. Blackest Night. No, Final Night. It wasn't really Green Lanterny. Um, Final Night was more. Um, uh, was more 
a Legion of Superheroes story than anything. I mean, it was it was drawn by your, one of your favorite artists. Oh, is that Stuart Eminem? Yeah, written by Carl Kiesel and uh, drawn by Stuart Eminem. And the inkers were Jose Marzan Jr., Jeff Albrecht, and Del Barris. I don't know who that is. Um, but it's basically the storyline of it is that the uh, a Sun Eater comes along. A Sun Eater is kind of a legendary uh, Legion of Superheroes big bad villain. And uh, it's basically a force of nature that consumes the sun of Earth and plunges it all into like a basically winter. And uh, it's it's a really it was a really um, good story in terms of it, it was a really grounded story uh in that there was a lot of like good human sort of moments in it and superman obviously loses his powers because his, he's uh isn't um son and this is a story that kind of predicates the um electric superman because doesn't him trying to boost his powers after the yep. fact kind of cause that mu- whatever mutation whatever they called it th- yeah the reaction that causes him to go electric for and yeah exactly eventually ridiculous story (laughs) there was some good stuff in the electric superman stuff and there was some really ridiculous stuff but um i still have a soft spot for it because it's when i started collecting Mm -hmm. uh when i started really hardcore uh interestingly enough that's when i dropped out of superman (laughs) i can can see that electric superman was was a a step too far for me at that point so but that was also the the clark and lois wedding which is a really great storyline and which may may have also uh I think the TV show was on at the time too, uh, Lois yeah. and Clark, which it may was. have also kind of caused my interest in Superman to diminish a fair bit as that show <laughs> continued to go on. Terry Hatcher's uh, being super hot at the time did not really mm-hmm. save that show from sucking ass. The first couple of seasons time. were good, and it went downhill quickly. Yeah, after um, the first two seasons. Yeah, but the the final night is uh, well known as the storyline in which Pharaoh of the Legion of Superheroes uh, sacrifices himself to basically save the Earth, or Fa- uh, Pharaoh Lad. Oh right, um, right, right. Isn't it also? Isn't this? Uh, doesn't what's his name die to reignite the sun? This is uh, Hal Jordan. Uh, I guess Hal jo- yeah, this is Hal Jordan's sort of. Uh, um, uh, his what's the word I'm looking for? His redemption. His redemption. Yeah, uh, because he sort of uh, reignites the sun uh, at the end of the story, um, and it's also I think uh, after that after this he is when he becomes the specter. Yeah, this leads into him becoming the specter. Um, yeah, which, until he comes back to life, and then it becomes Crispus Allen. If who is he still the specter? Maybe not. Uh no, it's back to being um. Is it what's his name again? Oh yeah, what the fuck is that? his name? The redhead guy. Yeah, that's right. Specter. I don't remember his um, name. He's is in now, Gotham Central too. Yeah, he is. Uh, Jim Corrigan. Corrigan, right? Yeah, though I mean, there's not really. There hasn't been a lot of uh, Specter stuff in the new New Fifty Two or in Rebirth. Uh, if I can't, I can't. Oh no, there was because uh, the Spectre was Jim Corrigan was part of uh, Gotham by Midnight, which was a really good series, which I'd highly recommend. It only had about twelve issues, but it was well done. Right. It was basically a division of the Gotham Police Force that was dedicated to like supernatural events. Uh, you mean uh, so like everything that happens in Gotham these days? Well, I mean, it's it was like supernatural as in like ghosts and stuff like that, not like oh, okay. uh, you know, not not supervillains. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was it was pretty interesting, and uh, I wish it had gone on longer. But yeah, Jim Corrigan was uh, part of that that team. 
Um, but yeah, Day of Judgment. Uh, so, sorry, uh, Day Final of night. Judgment. Uh, well, Final Night actually basically sort of spun into Day of Judgment because Day of Judgment was a very supernatural heavy uh, um, storyline. Another, another of these big events that happened, I think, the year after. Um, or no, is it Judgment Day or Day of Judgment? Day of Judgment, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. The, the DC, the DC uh, habit of like having events that are named very similarly and then flipping words and shit like that—that's yeah. that's one of those things where I'm like, I'm lost. Is it Infinity Day- cri- Infinity Crisis or is it uh, Earth, Final Crisis, Infinite Earth, or, or, Crisis yeah. on Infinite Earths or <laughs> Identity Crisis or uh, yeah. fucking Impacted Bowel Crisis or some horseshit? As long as it's got an I in it, it probably has been done at this point. So, uh, yeah, it's true. Um, Jay of Judgment was written by Jeff John, and that's the storyline in which Hal Jordan became the Spectre. Mm. So I I guess he ostensibly dies at the end of Final Night, and then his ghost is given the chance to become the Spectre. So the whole premise of Day of Judgment was uh, that the Spectre was vacant. It didn't have a human host, and it needed one. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, but with the exception of the fact that it did set up Hal Jordan as the Spectre, not a particularly memorable event. Um, it did involve involve a lot more of the sort of supernatural uh, heroes like Etrigan and uh, Zatanna and Phantom Stranger and Dead Man and those sorts of guys. Uh, and Ragman, who I've really been enjoying on Arrow. I like that little team they've got going on on Arrow right now. Yeah. It's good times. Yeah, it was Wild Dog was a weird choice to put on there, but it really it's been working really well. It's working very well. I'm quite impressed with it. So. Yeah, um, and I, I'm really happy that they finally got uh, what's his name in the uh, Mister Terrific outfit. Yeah, I like the T. The T that made me happy. If yeah, he had the, the, if he had the, um, I kind of wish they like the orbs paid the, the money orbs. for the orbs. Yeah, the the, t- the T spheres. The T spheres. Yeah, his balls. Yeah. I always just call them his balls. <laughs> His floating shiny, black, his, his floating black back balls. pendulous balls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I wish they, I wish they'd front the cash to have those at least once. But uh, yeah, it is um, nice to see him in Mister Ter- like the Mister Terrific outfit. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned Blackest should, Night. Should we talk about Blackest Night? We can talk about Blackest Night. There is one Marvel one we should probably talk about before we we call it a night. But uh, let's let's talk about Blackest Night. Since I'll let you nerd out, this has been a whole episode <laughs> dedicated to Tim just like jerking <laughs> off over his DC knowledge. Yeah, so. his fa- favorite DC stories. Yeah, so Black Blackest Night was another Jeff jo- John storyline, very Green Lantern heavy. Um, basically, where there was a Black Lantern Corps that was recruited from the corpses of uh, characters in the DC universe. So a lot of dead characters were revived by these rings and basically like fucked with the people that uh, you know were related to them or or had interactions with them in their lives. Uh, so there's a lot of like catharsis and nostalgia in that storyline, but also a lot of, it was pretty, it was really well done. I think it was also like one of the last, um, cause it's right in the middle of them, uh, introducing the, the color spectrum of lanterns too, wasn't mm-hmm. it like that in during that run? And I think this is the last color that they introduced. Like, I think this introduced the black and white rings, didn't it? Uh, the White Ring didn't come all along, I think. It might have been the end of this series that where they okay. introduced the uh, the White Ring. Um, yeah, but I think by this point you are you're right that uh, um, the other ones had already been introduced, so uh, the whole spectrum had been covered, um, and this was kind of 
a war of all the different lights against sort of the blackest or the uh, black rings in the black it, sound, it sounds so racist when you just say it out of context right <laughs> um but brightest day was the one that came out of this that uh the story or storyline that came out of this that really focused on the white rings or white it does ring. say if you if you just like do a find on the page white ring does show up so yeah. i guess it, it must be it must have been introduced in there yeah obviously as opposite sides of the same spectrum kind of thing yeah. That was a really interesting thing Jeff Johns did, I think, in like I'm just not in like involving this crossover at all, but just in general introducing like his Green Lantern the Um yeah. 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 Introducing the spectrum was definitely something that like maybe didn't rekindle my interest enough to go and like constantly read Green Lantern, but I was at least like, Oh, that's cool. Like that's interesting that they did that. Yeah, and it's base it's set up the basis for a lot of future uh Green Lantern stories for sure. I mean the Sinestro Corps has just become huge now. The Red Lanterns had their own title for a while. Um yeah, Larflees even had his own title for a while, the the Orange Lantern. Yeah. Um Yeah. There's some interesting choices sometimes when they're like <laughs> picking characters who are gonna be on books, but Yeah. What are you gonna um, do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, all that was coming out of this, right? And it was a very popular series, so they're like, "Let's milk this for all it's worth," yeah. which is what they always do. And then they kind of burn out. Um, what was the Marvel one you wanted to talk about? Well, we're we're leading up to it in the MCU, so uh, I was going to talk about Infinity Gauntlet. Right, right. So, like, as as we were going on, and I'm sure I'm not sure how aware everybody, like our listenership, will be, but like, as the MCU has gone on, there have been hints dropped that Thanos is coming. You've met Thanos a couple times, and like they've shown you the Infinity Gauntlet. And as you've gone through um, the the stories of the MCU, they've slowly but surely brought up gems or items that power certain things. So I'd have to go and look them up right now. But I know like the Ether in Thor two was one of them. Uh, the mind gem that is now powering vision is one of them. Um, was the tesseract the tesseract is one too? I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, the purple thing that was in Guardians of the Galaxy, the MacGuffin in Guardians of the Galaxy, was yeah. one. Uh, apparently, the Eye of Agamotto in Doctor Strange is one, which is it's, a little bit of a retcon. But yeah, I think it's the Soul Stone that's the one that's yeah, missing now. I think it's the Soul Stone is all that's left, which I think they're gonna deal with in Guardians next summer. So, mm-hmm. since I'm assuming they've got one more movie left before they go into Infinite, Infinity, Infinity War. Wars, um, yeah. they'll have to probably deal with that. And, and I'm kind of thinking they're not gonna deal with it in Spider-Man: Homecoming. So, I'm gonna venture <laughs> to guess that that's gonna be in Guardians probably of the Galaxy, <laughs> unless unless that last Infinity Stone is like one of Tony Stark's balls or something like that, <laughs> which is possible. Like what, what powers the Vulture suit or something? <laughs> yeah. But I don't think they're going to put uh, an Infinity Stone in the Spider-Man movie. So I'm assuming it's going to be dealt with in, if not um, Guardians of the Galaxy, it'll probably be dealt with in that first movie or maybe the Captain Marvel movie that falls in between the two Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. But the, the the story that it's based on is like a, uh, a 1991 story. Um, Which is Jim Shooter, isn't it? Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin, right. Yeah, Jim Sorry. Starlin with art by George Perez, again, because this is going to be a giant crossover. Um so finally, Thanos. Uh, it's a little bit different, but Thanos, the the Mad God or whatever they call him over there, is essentially the Marvel, the cheap Marvel version of Darkseid. Uh, <laughs> the purple guy that's been in the chair for all those movies, as Christy yeah. re- referred to him as. Um, who like I don't know if they're going to play this up, but in the comics, he's in love with Death in the Marvel universe, who is actually personified as a woman that he is in love with. Like they actually show it as a character. 
Hmm. I don't know if they're going to do that on the movies. Yeah, it Probably. seems like a bit of a stretch for the movies. Yeah, it might be a little bit of a stretch of the movies. Um, but he starts like to uh, to get her attention. He gets the in, the Infinity Gauntlet and the six Infinity Stones, and starts wiping out life uh, in the in the Marvel universe. And by the end of it, uh, the the heroes that are left kind of band together to take him down. And it does have a really good scene. I think that's it's in this one. Um, how does it end? I think it really ends with. Um, is this the one that ends with a Captain America standing up to him, being the last person there, and his willpower takes him down, or something ridiculous like that? Ne- it sounds like Nebula is the Nebula one that takes apparently... the gauntlet off Thanos' hand and dons it herself. She then undoes all of Thanos' actions. Well, that's interesting. At least they have a Nebula in thing that in they the can MCU? see this with. Yeah. Well, that's who's, um, ne- who's Nebula in the MCU? Karen Gillan. Oh, right, right, right. So I guess they can do that. They'll probably do yeah. something more like, this is probably where Captain America dies, taking his last stand, probably, like the Chris Evans Captain America. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming it'll be something more like that. Because there is a story where, to take down, maybe it's Thanos War, it's something else, but like they take down Thanos and it's pretty much just Cap being too badass to like kill or something like that. <laughs> I've read this story a million years ago. I'm just like I know I know it's going to come up at some point, and like yeah. it is something that like it's it was a pretty like influential story, and it's obviously to the point where like they're kind of basing the the connective tissue of the MCU around the story, even if they're not going to touch it um, as in depth. Yeah, as this is because there is no Adam Warlock yet. Although his the egg that Adam Warlock is born from is in Guardians of the Galaxy because it's in the collector's. It's collection. in the collector's collection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there is stuff out there that it might happen. Maybe he's in Guardians too. I don't know anything about the plot, so no. yeah. Um, there's one other that we should probably talk about because it got sort of bringing a sort of full circle. It got talked about in uh, the Invasion TV show, which uh, and was partly caused the Invasion uh, sort of TV crossover, which is Flashpoint. Mm, yes, talk about Flashpoint. <laughs> I was like, I never, I didn't read the whole series. I pretty much just watched the uh, the the animated adaption. Mm. So. so basically, I mean, it was Flashpoint was basically what we talked about earlier. It's Barry sticking his fucking dick in the timeline. He goes back in time and tr- and tries to save his mother, and in doing so, severely fucks up the uh, the entire DC universe. So what we end up with is a bunch of really weird uh, sort of. very different versions of all of the DC characters, like uh, basically everybody. Superman, uh, Batman ends up being Thomas Wayne, uh, Bruce's father. The Joker ends up being Martha Wayne, which is a really interesting twist. It's actually my favorite of that, all of that stuff, all the fallout of all that was the fact that uh, they did that with the Waynes and made them Batman and the Joker, ostensibly, by the end of it. A really, Um, really fucking vicious Batman, too. He's a killer in those, so... Yeah, yeah, but I mean, really, the it's not. It had good points and bad points. It was kind of a middling sort of event overall. But overall, what it really did was it essentially reset the uh, DC universe, and that's where the New Fifty Two came about. Where some care, which ended up being, I won't say a hard reset, but let's say like a medium reset of the DC universe. A lot of characters did have their backstories significantly changed. Some sort of started from scratch. Others were sort of soft reset, like we talked about with Batman. Um, yeah, but definitely had a, a lasting impact for sure. Yeah. 
It was a good, like, yeah, you know, what are you going to do? They had to, they had to get the new 52 somehow. So eventually yeah. they got to find a story to do it. And why not do it by setting precedent and having Barry stick his dick in the timeline? Cause yep. just teaching TV Barry how to do real things. Cause <laughs> Barry does the same goddamn thing. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to take a chance as we sort of finish up with our talk here to go back to a couple really sort of widely panned ones, which might be before <laughs> your time. Uh, did you ever read uh, the DC Millennium crossover? Um, no. Wait, it was probably wait. the one that really started causing like a crossover, like burnout, like tie-in burnout on uh, on the DC side. Wait, this uh, is, the, is this the one in 1988? Yeah, it's the one that that basically um, uh, introduced the Manhunters. Oh, God. The Manhunter robots that had replaced a bunch of people in the DC universe. And uh, essentially what was happening was that the Guardians, who are these little blue creatures that are essentially gods, I guess. No, maybe not gods, but like... uh, Immortal creatures, anyways. They they always remind me of the... um, the little big brain Smurfs? dudes. Well, the Smurfs, but like the, the big brain guys from the first episode of the cage from the first episode of Star Trek. That's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, but essentially what big it was... Big-headed floaty were... dudes <laughs> are in charge of the Green Lantern Corps, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're the ones that basically uh, made the made all the Green Lantern rings, and they're the bosses of the Corps sometimes. Yeah, um, occasionally. Yeah, but they were essentially fostering in a new group of guardians who were all humans and yeah it was not very good and i would say probably the uh dc event that has the worst uh overall reputation is war of the gods oh this all okay i've heard of it but i've never read (laughs) it was was like 1991 it was it was very much what it sounds like it's all of the sort of uh pantheon of gods in the dc universe uh having a big fucking fight and so like you got like the greek gods um who wonder woman's the tied synopsis, to the synopsis is insanity it's uh what does it say hold on wait i'm gonna read it um <laughs> wonder woman and the amazons are caught in the middle of a war between the ancient roman gods and the olympian gods meanwhile yeah. Cersei frames themiskira for crimes that lead to a war between america and the wonder woman's home and wonder woman's home yeah that's Sounds horrible. <laughs> so I guess this one of the issues here was this is one that uh, George Perez actually wrote and drew. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is during the time where uh, George Perez was writing and drawing uh, Wonder Woman, which was a really well-known and very, uh, very well-received run. Um, but I guess the DC or like the DC executives and stuff like that meddled in the storyline a lot, and so. Uh, it got fucked up a lot. And part of it was that it was uh, to celebrate Wonder Woman's anniversary, I think 50th anniversary or something like that. Probably, was part yeah. of it as well. So, um, yeah, so ended up being kind of a fucking big mess uh, and had a lot of shitty tie-ins that didn't really... It, was, it had 25 parts to the fucking thing. Oh, God. I mean, there was five, four issues, and then, but it was numbered like part one through part twenty-five. So there's twenty-one tie-in issues for a four-issue miniseries. That's <coughs> a terrible idea. Yeah, this was like peak tie-in, uh, yeah. I think, as well. Well, um, peak tie-in DC because I know peak tie-in yeah. on the the Marvel side was probably something more like I think Secret Wars was, Two or something. 
uh, Secret Wars 2 didn't get, like, super tied in, I don't think. But I know, like, House of M, every book did a House of M version of the book. And I'm not even sure if it was an annual. I think it might have been, like, in the run. Um, Civil mm-hmm. War also. Um, also famously parodied by Next Wave, where they had... Because everything in Civil War was that they had the super designed covers, where it would be, like, a Marvel, like, a Civil War tie-in, and have, like, the colored bottom and, like, a little piece of art across the top. Instead of having mm-hmm. the solid color across the bottom, the Next Wave guys had a plaid thing. And then uh, yeah. it was all the characters of Next Wave holding, like, signs at the top, something like, Mark Millar likes goats. And then, like, <laughs> what was the other one? Oh, we don't care. Like, shit like that. <laughs> not a, and it was, like, crossed out, like, not a Marvel Civil War tie-in, because it was just, like, nothing to do with it. Just part of the Next Wave story. Um, yeah. So great. Um, yeah, there's there's a bunch of like floppy ones on the Marvel side. Cause like every like second one is kind of like either people just aren't ready for another crossover or just don't really care anymore. Or like, so for every like annihilation that happens in a corner of the universe where it's just that corner of it happening, there's one that takes over the whole run of books and like house of M may be a good event if you're just reading the core story of it. But like when you start getting into the tie-ins, the quality is just like all the fuck over the place. And like, um yeah. the same with like the world war hulk where like hulk actually comes back and like does anything is so anticlimactic they may as well not even have done it and that kind of thing yeah um secret you invasion want to talk about onslaught oh god or, or, or heroes reborn well actually they tie into each other so we may as well we can just talk about the whole thing so onslaught <laughs> i'm going i'm paraphrasing because i'm going off of memory here uh, <laughs> pretty sure at this point Professor Xavier had mind wiped Magneto and the like having his personality inside of his mind corrupted him and he formed this villainous thing called Onslaught, hence the Onslaught villain looking kind of like a steroid doomsday version of Magneto's armor. Magneto, yeah. Yeah. Um, and in the battle that ensued trying to stop the Professor Xavier Onslaught monster, um, reality split and a bunch of the what would now be ostensibly like the main Marvel Universe characters, but were at the time very ancillary because like um, characters that were not super popular in the mid nineties, ninety six approximately, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, were kind of handed off and put into a pocket universe. Um, so I think it was Captain America, uh, the Fantastic Four and Iron Man were handed off to what were at the time, the image guys. Cause at this time, like 1992 had happened and a bunch of guys who were big name artists at, uh, image had, or sorry, at Marvel had fucked off and formed image. So it was like guys like Todd McFarlane, uh, Jim Lee, who else? Rob was, Liefeld. Oh, Rob Liefeld. And fucking hack. Yeah. He's still, yeah, that's actually the heroes reborn stuff is the, the infamous captain America, man boob image. the huge chest yeah yeah the huge chest um is the rob liefeld like promo image from heroes reborn so this that's where this comes from um with the stupid <laughs> eagle across his head and all that kind of stuff um yeah yeah that, so, so that these, that's that that's really uh that's peak um, marvel that, 90s that, that, that insanity needs, like, that needs just, to be the uh the the uh picture for the episode now is okay. the yeah. Captain America man boobs. Yeah, that's uh it was a, and the worst part was like so they give Jim Lee Iron Man and then somebody else took Fantastic Four, maybe it was Mark Silvestri, I can't remember anymore. Um and it kind of spelled the end of uh what was Im- the at the time what was Image, like that the the superhero version of Image. 
because um, all those guys kind of stopped doing their image books uh, to move over to this other thing and do move back to Marvel and get paid a ton of money to do these relaunch books. They yeah. didn't do very well, if I remember correctly. Like I think the number ones did okay, but they didn't last very long because these creators are also notoriously like some of the worst, like least consistent. Yeah, for like timelines and stuff like that. So we're just like destroying deadlines and like late books we're shipping and shit like that. And Marvel's like, okay, hold up, we fucked up. Let's just like fold this all back into continuity and get things <laughs> back under control. Um, which kind of led to like like image becoming the image it is today. Like that event really like maybe not in terms of the universe itself because a lot of people won't talk about Onslaught or Heroes Reborn anymore unless you're bringing it up <laughs> as a joke on a podcast thirty years, twenty years later. Um, <laughs> It, uh, yeah, it generally just kind of gets brought up as uh, that's where Image, like the original idea for Image Comics kind of dies. And it It becomes becomes just start like fucking eats its own tail. And yeah, well, yeah, at that point, like all those guys never really went back to their image books properly. And like that was kind of where like like Savage Dragon. Well, no, that was the thing. Like guys like Eric Larson and Todd McFarlane, they didn't come back over to Marvel. Yeah. They stayed at Image. Oh, they stayed and did Spawn and. Savage Dragon and Spawn continued to go on because Todd mm-hmm. McFarlane refused to ever go back to Marvel. I don't think he's ever really done anything back for anybody ever. I'm sure like he's probably done some one-off illustrations here and there, but I don't think or he's like ever like covers drawn. and that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think he's ever drawn a book again for anybody except for Spawn. That and even that, he doesn't draw anymore. I think he just writes it, so... Mm-hmm. I think he might do covers occasionally. I don't really know. I don't pay attention to Spawn that closely. Is it, he so, so much money with like the McFarlane toys and shit like that that he doesn't yeah. need to do anything now? Yeah. Oh, he bought those baseballs. That's all I remember about Todd McFarlane was the late 90s when he bought those baseballs. Mm. Remember that? That's all I remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he kind of like, they left, and that was when, I think Eric Larson and, um, shit, who's the other guy that was like, it was Jim, was it Jim something? Jim. There was another guy who launched Image that was like a big dude, like was one of the original Image comics. I don't remember. Guys. Um, there was like six of them left. Um, Eric Larson, Rob Liefeld, Jim Valenta, Valentino, and Mark Silvestri, and Mark Silvestri, yes, around that same time. Uh, He died later, didn't he? It like it was like the late nineties, wasn't it? Or maybe early two thousands or something. Early two thousands, I think. Yeah, yeah. So Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, Eric Larson, Jim Valentino, uh, Wilshire Portacio was the other guy. Oh wait, Silvestri's not dead. Let's not no. let's not let's not kill anybody else no, here. That's not already done. Oh, it was Mike Turner that died. Who had cancer? Right, it was Mike Turner. He had, his, yeah. he had hip cancers, or they like had bone marrow cancer or something like that. Yeah, they had yeah, his yeah. hip like massively replaced. I remember that. Yeah. Um, now I remember it anyway because now we're saying <laughs> fucking Mark Sylvester's dead. I'm like, wait, he drew the end of uh, Grant Morrison's new X Men run. So how is he? How did he die? <laughs> that no, we're both wrong. We're idiots. Well, what happened was like, uh, yeah, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, and I think Sylvester. Went back, and probably Portacio too might have gone back um, to Marvel at that point. But I think that that was where like Eric Larson and Valentino kind of like started to pick up a lot of indies and started to publish like what you now know as Image, um, mm-hmm. like the the Robert Kirkman version of Image, like the Invincible, Walking Dead, uh, that version of Image. And that's kind of where this started. Was where it became like Dark Horse ostensibly because all of a sudden there was more creator owned stuff and they changed the way they do all their licensing and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So in a way it was kind of like, it was, it was a terrible story, the heroes reborn stuff, but it made it so that we have image comics the way we have image comics now, which I can't can't begrudge at all. 
And I also want to say Onslaught apparently was created by Scott Lobdell, who, as far as I can tell, has never done anything good. Didn't he work on Deadpool for a little while? He's at least he's mostly doing DC stuff now. Like he wrote uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, and um, oh, what the fuck else? He was doing Teen Titans for a while and stuff like that. And he has not yet done anything that I have had any like real gotten any real pleasure out of from DC. And uh, it does not surprise me at all that he created Onslaught, who is now one of the most laughed at characters in all of Marvel. Yeah, he's really written a bunch of shit, actually. He really has written a bunch of shit. Ten issues of Gen 13 post-J. Scott Campbell. Oh, he was... Scott Lobdell wrote... I think he might have written the first seven issues of Iron Man. Was it Reborn? Or is this, like, Heroes Return? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It was probably garbage one way or the other, so... Either way. Actually, no, I think he wrote it with Jim Lee or something like that. Or maybe it was with Portaccio. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. All garbage all the time. Marvel (laughs) uh, event cross event things, they really should just stop doing them unless they have a really good idea. Yeah. We didn't even talk about the... the, uh, Sorry, I just realized. We didn't really talk about the um, Infinite Crisis and Final Crisis uh, books. Oh, true. Yeah. and those ones, I think, bear mentioning. Like, the Infinite Crisis involved, like, Superboy Prime punching reality. Oh, God. And, uh, so that, that was an, a sort of a, a leftover. It was sort of a bookend to the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, where some of those characters had essentially just gotten locked out of the multiverse. Um, so Superboy Prime and uh, uh, Alec- Alexander Luther and the Earth 2 Superman and Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sort of broke back into uh, reality, um, and uh, that definitely had some lasting impacts on the DC universe. Didn't somebody and, uh, die horribly in that? Um, in Infinite Crisis, Man, Superboy it. wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't that where Connor yeah. Kent died really like terribly? It is Superman or Superboy Prime. Yeah, it is. Um, and it took, like, and it took like four Supermen to like take him, take Superboy Prime down or something like that because he was yeah. crisis powered or something. Yeah, it was it was pretty intense. Plus, he he had uh, um, part of the Anti Monitor's armor as right. his costume, uh, which gave him even more power as well. Uh, so, also the story that I think was the original uh, impetus for Jason Todd showing back up in continuity. Yeah, that was one of the things that him punching reality. It was basically DC again, sort of retconning a bunch of stuff and saying, "No, all this stuff that is kind of you know we didn't really explain very well. It's because Superboy punched reality." Yes, yes, yeah, that was a big <laughs> which, joke. Which for became a, long a joke. Time. Yeah, which did become a joke for a very long time. Yeah. But actually, um, every once in a while, I think it still comes up too. So yeah, that was a Jeff Johns uh, written story as well. Um, written by Phil Jimenez and Jerry Ordway, and isn't that George pretty Perez much just all John. the um, big events the DC does now? Isn't Jeff Johns just no. like their main writer now? Uh, Grant Morrison did Final Crisis, but that yeah. one was fucking weird. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I just remember reading the synopsis and just being like, Grant, buddy, I'm glad you're off Batman finally because you're weirdly <laughs> weirding out my Batman books a lot, and I'm not happy with that. But well, it had some really cool stuff in it though. Like it had um, that was the return of Barry Allen was in yeah. Final Crisis. It was also the quote unquote death of uh, Batman. Batman got uh, de- decimated Zapped. by yes. the Omega Beams yeah. by Darkseid's Omega Beams, but really was just zapped back in time. 
who was that back in time. But even that ended up being a pretty uh, interesting um, uh, storyline, like him getting back to the present and stuff. It also gave us Dick Grayson Batman for like two years, which was awesome. Yep. Um, and Batman R.I.P. as yep. well, uh, basically. Uh, yeah, so. Spun out of that. Battle for the Cowl came out of that too, so. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So. Just like the at that point 16 robins or whatever uh fighting to become batman so yeah yeah and it was and even uh two-face as well yeah that's right harvey dent too that's right i I Um, remember reading that and just being like there's too many robins that's all i could that was my main takeaway from it i was like he's only been around for 10 years too many robins yeah um it also had some pretty good uh green arrow stuff in it from what i remember i mean it was another one that had a bunch of like one-shot books sort of coming out of it as well that were mm-hmm. kind of weird like uh grant morrison had like this uh uh japanese super team that came out of it that was really weird and um i mean it's grant morrison so it's gonna be weird. yeah there grant was, morrison like, was also in the middle of doing like uh batman incorporated at the time too so there was yeah. all kinds of weird shit he was doing to uh all the mainline books at that point so yeah there's also uh superman um uh, basically, like whistling to remake reality or something like that, which was just something that only Grant Morrison could say, write. That sounds like something only Grant Morrison would come up with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was he was yeah, that was really weird. But yeah. uh, all right, I think we've covered pretty much all the major stuff. Can you think of anything else? Uh, no, not right now. <laughs> Since we're two hours in, all right. Well, in that case, I mean, there are a couple others sort of coming up or that have just recently finished. There was uh, Civil War Two for Marvel, which is the most recent one. Don't. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, I haven't heard great things. Uh, yeah, first of all, they didn't even get Mark Millar and Steve McNiven back. And then <laughs> it's in the middle of Marvel's, like, we're going to try and make the Inhumans cool, which... They do every 10 years, and it never fucking works. It never works. Yeah. Um, and then on the DC side, uh, they have their first major event after Rebirth, which is uh, Justice League versus Suicide Squad, which um, has only had, I think, two issues out so far, and I've only read the first one. Um, but the stuff that has been going on both in Justice League and in Suicide Squad separately has been pretty good. Um, so that one, at least I'm sort of on board for, for now. Um, we'll see where it goes. Um, let's see. Yeah. So yeah, that is sort of a brief history of, uh, major comic book events from DC and Marvel. Uh, like I said, they are some of my favorite stories, obviously some of them more so than others, as we've discussed at length. Well, it is, wouldn't be Dance Robot Dance if we didn't take the chance to shit on something that we yeah, if we didn't, so. if we didn't take the piss out of some shit. So. Yeah, because we didn't even talk about some of the really bad like mid-90s X-Men crossovers, like Extinction awesome. Agenda and shit like that. Some of the There's some really horrifying stuff that happened in the 90s that <laughs> is best left, yeah. forgotten, left forgotten and buried in their chromium-covered fucking graves, I guess. So. <laughs> their uh, they're holographic-covered uh, graves. Yeah, because it was like... Foil stamped graves. Yeah, yeah. So like Extinction <laughs> Agenda, Executioner's Song, uh, Maximum Carnage happened around the same time. <laughs> uh, Jesus, what else is there? Clo- oh, this is in the middle of the fucking Clone Saga. Like <laughs> 90s Marvel, like Onslaught happened around here. 90s Marvel. Uh, God damn. There's a reason why you fuckers almost went bankrupt. Please yeah. hire me. I love you. I love you. Please hire me. I will talk for you. <laughs> 
So, all right. Well, now that we've significantly geeked out and hopefully got all our comic stuff out for a little while so that uh, we don't Christy have to bore, bore, us. bore yeah, Christy yeah, with bore it. Christy to death. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, thank you for listening. And now I got to get to the page that has all our social media information. Uh, this is why you do it ahead of time, Tim. This is yeah, why. That's why I should do it ahead of time. This is um, also why Christy never does it herself and makes me do it all the time. Because I yeah. probably have a shortcut to it somewhere. <laughs> but I'm just going to uh, let you swing because it's more funny if I let you swing. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, you should check us out on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast. Uh, we've got around 140 followers now. Join our multitude of Southeast Asian followers. Yeah, well, we've got we a couple more now, and we and it's a couple people that have been commenting and stuff like that, which has been nice. Yeah. Um, oh, come on. The fucking social media channel has not been... It won't update. Uh, let's see. You can email us at danceforobotdance at gmail.com. Danceforobotdancepodcast at gmail.com. Danceforobotdance... Fuck dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com you can uh, follow us on twitter at uh, drd underscore podcast and you can uh, subscribe at on itunes or the google play store or stitcher and i think that's everything now that i've butchered the shit out of that so uh, <laughs> thank you everybody for listening this has been uh, mark bye guys and tim signing off <laughs> <laughs> um prepare next time just so you know <laughs> i know i well i usually just go to the login info channel in uh, uh in in slack and it's all there but uh it was just taking a long time to load so oh no all right i'm fucking stopping bye <laughs> yeah